Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Oh, what's going on, everybody? Brian Noe in for Jake. Jimmy Cook here on The Fan with you today. And, you know, it's something interesting that Kirk Herbstreet said last night during Thursday Night Football, Jimmy. He was talking about Will Levis, huh? Titans quarterback, second start, and this was the comment that Kirk Herbstreet made at the beginning of the second half. Wow. This kid's showing something tonight. Huh? This kid's showing something tonight. (laughs) Now, Jimmy, you know as well as I do, the simple-minded folk out there, they will say, well, he threw an interception to end the game. True, in the final seconds when he had to get the ball to the end zone, yeah, if you want to point that out, sure, but... You could also look like uh, look at the fact that he looks like a real NFL quarterback, right? Did you not see that last night? Okay, so a couple things. First, you know the gif where, and I don't remember if it's from Wolf of Wall Street or what it's from, but Leonardo DiCaprio is sitting in a recliner, and then he just sits up in his seat and he points. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that one? If not, <laughs> I've seen it in sports Twitter many times. I'll send it to you. But okay. that's what I imagine you were like last night when you heard Kirk Herbstreet say those words like, oh, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I've been saying the whole time. And then the, you have the audio ready to go. Uh, joking aside, I was going to come on here and I felt like I'd have the opportunity to instead of being backed in a corner to give some praise. I, I thought he looked nice for a second start against that Steelers defense. I thought he looked nice. I want to see more. I would also tip the cap and say, the two-minute drill or end-of-game drive, even though he almost threw effectively picks in three different instances, the last one wound up being a real one. The fact that he was able to lead them down the field with no timeouts and have a couple cracks at it at the end, a lot of poise. A lot of poise from the rookie. Just like Anthony Richardson, I want to see more, but he did not fold the way I thought he might, and I did tip the cap a number of times throughout that game. That said... He also had the benefit of the other quarterback I was watching is Kenny Pickett, who I and you both have been out on, I think, since the start of the season. And I'm just, I would be maddeningly frustrated if I was a Steelers fan in terms of how continually good those defenses tend to be and how just back half of Big Ben's career to now anemic that offense has been. Yeah, that was a trendy A talking point in the offseason was, hey, Kenny Pickett, I'll look out for a big uh, surge forward, big step forward. And I'm like, I I don't see it. (laughs) Just don't it. And he's been this year, you know. And listen, his rookie season, it's a rookie season. You take that into account. But seven touchdowns, nine picks. It's just a general gauge of where he was at. And there was a lot of buzz about, man, look out for Pickett taking a big step forward. And it has not happened. It should not happen where we can agree. That was his 20th start last night for Kenny Pickett. His 20th start. And in start number two, Will Levis looked better. (laughs) It was more accurate. He was more poised. That shouldn't happen. That's a terrible sign for the Steelers. But if you want to bring it back to an indie point of view, this is not to troll anything. This is not... (laughs) I'm being 100% honest when I say this, Jimmy. I think the future is brighter for Will Levis than Anthony Richardson. I honestly believe that. Because in the NFL, it takes precision as a passer. 
it's great that you can run around. You can put stress on a defense, but sometimes that puts stress on your offense and your team when you're on the shelf and you're in the ice tub because you can't stay healthy. You've got to be able to throw the ball consistently well. And I see a brighter future for Will Levis than Anthony Richardson. Do you think I'm crazy with that? I mean, I, I think that the thought of being able to like really believe it, the emphasis there for you that you really think that's what's going to pan out is slightly crazy. But I mean, the the take itself, maybe not. I mean, for me, I don't believe that. But I would also say it's too early for me to tell on either side who is going to be the better quarterback. That said, you talked about this and emphasized it a ton. There was Will Levis hate galore, not just in this market, but around the country about what he would be able to be. And a lot of those doubters were proven correct in the preseason and in training camp. And it looks like the Titans just have an aging Ryan Tannehill and two backups that aren't worth anything. And he's proved himself through two starts. But you and I were kind of in agreement on this yesterday Two starts is not a career make. I need to see more. He's going to get that opportunity to. It also frustrates me if I'm a Titans fan, and part of it is because Derrick Henry is such a great weapon, and outside of DeAndre Hopkins, they really don't have any proven commodities at wide receiver, so I get why you'd want to run the ball, but there's other times where I would have liked to have seen more extended drives that weren't just based on, hey, here's four or five carries, and they did let him move a little bit, particularly on that last drive, but... I wanted to see more like he left me wanting to see more of, okay, is he really able to piece this together? We knew about the arm going into the off season. Can he be concise? Can he kind of throw guys open? Like, is he able to utilize all those skills? And if he's able to do that, then yes, there's going to be a strong argument to say, maybe he does wind up being the better quarterback, but there were enough, even in the small sample size. And I know you disagree with that. There was enough for me this season from Anthony Richardson, where I have the same feeling where I want to see more. I see bright spots. I also see some head-scratching plays, too. And there were some from Will Levis last night, especially in that two-minute drill. I felt like he had to force the issue, but he was forcing the issue a couple times, nearly got baited into a couple of picks. Then the last one, I get what he was trying to do. He was trying to throw off the linebacker with his eyes. It nearly worked, but pick ends up happening, and that's your game. Much like Anthony Richardson, I want to see more. I don't think you're crazy, but... I think it's crazy to feel that confident in it this early. How is that crazy? <laughs> like Because I, it's been I, two I, games. Because you've seen two games versus six. And but it's not, it's not, it's not two games for just Will Levis. It's Anthony Richardson's entire college career. Okay? Like it's not just his four starts where he didn't finish three of them. It was all through college with limited experience and now he's got to try to get up to speed at the NFL level after missing almost his entire rookie season. Like that puts him so far back in his NFL quarterback development. It's a huge deal for him. So it's not just overreacting to, "Wow, look at those four touchdowns against the Falcons. Here comes Will the Thrill." It's bigger than that. That's how I'm looking at it. I'm not just saying, oh, two starts, knee-jerk will. It's beyond that. And you look at Anthony Richardson's entire resume, it's more than just his four starts and being banged up. I go back to college where his completion percentage sucked. I don't ever see him being a precise NFL passer when he's not even close to precise in college. That was never a worry, though, in his starts this year. That was a worry going in, but he never looked like the rattled – inconsistent incompletions left and right quarterback in a four game sample size. And that's the unfair part about the analysis is 
it's so small that I can't really look at you and say confidently, yeah, I feel like that's fixed. But the way he was presented and the way at times when you and I discussed that he was presented was because of the lack of starts, because of his inconsistency in the pocket and his inability to have high levels of completion rate. Because of all of that, he might be overwhelmed in the NFL and it might not wind up being a good pick for the Colts. In those four games he participated in, and yes, this injury blanket that's going to be on him for this offseason is maddeningly frustrating because it is both factual and at this point maybe a career narrative for him until he gets back out there. But I never left any of those games thinking to myself, he can't develop into the quarterback he was drafted to be. The moment is too big for him. I think the Colts made a big mistake. That, that thought has never crossed my mind And also, there were some pinpoint darts from him in those starts, too, to where it's like, wow, maybe he can put these things together. And that's why they started him in the first place. The hope was you would get a full rookie season body of work and you would be able to feel somewhat confident one way or the other, whether he's a quarterback to build around or whether you've made a mistake with the fourth pick. Well, I think that Anthony Richardson, and we talked about this going back to training camp, you know, he's going to be a guy that has some wow throws, and then he's going to be a guy that you say, what the hell was that? <laughs> right? like yeah. that? That's what Anthony Richardson has done. That's what we saw from Kenny Pickett last night. He had more of those, like, dude, you just airmailed it to a wide-open guy. What are, you, what are you doing? That's like a high school throw right there. But that's where I think Anthony Richardson, yeah, can he be special at times? Can he have some highlight throws and highlight plays? Certainly. He's got talent. But consistency is the deal. And that's what a lot of people can't separate. There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, Jimmy, that can make great plays. But it's the lack of consistency where you might see Baker Mayfield make a throw where you're like, that was freaking nice. And the next thing you see, you're like, what was that? (laughs) You know, Uh, last week, good example, Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy had a couple of great plays against the Bengals. And then he had a couple of throws that led to interceptions that ended the game for the Niners. Like, it, it only takes one or two plays where you're not reading the defense correctly or you're not accurate with the throw, and that can do you in. And I think that's where the bar is so low, and, and it should be for a lot of young quarterbacks. But sometimes it's too low. I'm not expecting Mahomes out of the gate, but we just dismiss far too many things that I think will continue to be there if you're just missing a wide open guy or not making a simple play too often. And I felt like you were on for one of those preseason games. You saw that at times in the preseason, Brian, I saw less of that of missing open receivers in the four games he participated in. Again, that doesn't mean that he's fixed it and his career is going to be rainbows and butterflies now, but a lot of the very real concerns I had preseason starts in the bag of what's the regular season going to hold he quelled most of those for me in the four games that he was involved in now that said regardless of where things go from here and he's again out for the year people know this by now this is now an the, the roles have reversed right some people called for him to sit behind Minshew for a year and that maybe it was best to rest the guy and let him learn and let him grow and be a part of quarterbacks rooms and see how it's done on a day-to-day basis. I still stand by they made the right decision starting him out of the gate, but here we are. He's hurt now, and now he's forced to be in that role of 
It's a mental and a rehab season for you. And you need to be as precise as you can be on the mental side because you can't afford for de facto on your body rookie year number two to also be rookie year number two on your mind. Like this is where things have shifted now. He needs to have those routines developed. And I think he will through Minshew, through Steichen, through that quarterback room. I believe he will, but that's the holding pattern the Colts are in right now. And you're forced to watch other young AFC South quarterbacks get valuable reps and shine at times. I mean, for me, and this isn't a difficult thing to say, especially since he's one of two that are up right now, it's C.J. Stroud right now is the best of that class in a very way too early recap of what happened in that draft. Levis has the opportunity to get a full body of work underneath him, and the Titans are going to have a clear answer, I think, at the end of this, what, six, seven, eight games left, what they potentially have moving forward. For the Colts, because of the injury, it's a little bit murkier, but I still feel like he has the potential to develop in what they want him to. Well, that's what the Titans should do. <laughs> They're out of their freaking minds if they go back and oh, start you can't. panning. You absolutely can't. It's over. I, the, the ship has sailed. The genie's out of the bottle. You can't I do don't, it. That's what they should do, Jimmy. I'm not convinced that's what they will do. They've been talking this whole time. Vrabel has been like, well, you know, with Tannehill out, I guess we got to start this jackass Will Levis. Is basically what he's <laughs> what he's saying. It's like, dude, have you not seen even the first game against the Falcons? He was still singing that tune going into last night's game against the Steelers. It's like you've seen Levis is at least as good as Tannehill, if not better. Why on earth would you go back to Tannehill, who's not your future? When Will Levis very well could be, you got to get him some seasoning. And let's be real with where the Titans are right now, and it's the same boat as the Colts. There's no playoffs this year. Like any any fake fairy tale hope they had died last night. They are now two back in the loss side with the Jaguars. Jacksonville is essentially in the same spot as Kansas City likely is where good night, Irene, AFC West, AFC South, it's over. It's done. Like Enjoy. Thanks for coming. Give the hats out now and let's enjoy the second half of the regular season. Like that's where they're at the same spot as the Colts are. If I'm the Titans, I don't see the point in playing Ryan Tannehill the rest of the way. No, you need answers as to what your quarterback room is moving forward. And regardless of whether or not you are a Will Levis fan, if you follow the AFC South closely as a Colts fan or whether or not you don't have a dog in the fight from an organizational standpoint, you have the body of work in the file on Ryan Tannehill. You know what he's been his whole career. You know what he is at the age that he is. It's time to see what you have for the future and let the kid run for the rest of the season and then reevaluate afterwards. But the idea of going back to Tannehill right now when at a minimum that offense, particularly in the passing game, has more bite than it probably has in four years, I, I, that's an easy answer for me. You know what's funny to me, and I think this is fair, is that Neither franchise, the Colts nor the, the Titans, wants the other team's quarterback, right? Like, if you, Correct. If you, if you look at the Colts <laughs> fans and said, hey, w would you rather have Will Levis right now? I guarantee you the percentage would be, no, no way. Why would we want Will Levis? If you ask Titans fans, would you want Anthony Richardson right now? Really? The guy with the sucky completion percentage who's banged up? No, we don't want that guy. And you know as well as I do that – if both franchises drafted the other guy, they'd be saying the same yeah, thing correct. in reverse. Correct. Do you understand what I mean? That, like, that's the fan loyalty of it all. Yeah, yes. and it's the hope. It's the hope that 
your franchise, the, the franchise you root for, got it right. And they're going to have a franchise quarterback for the future. I just find that whole dynamic hilarious because you will dig your heels in yep. like, no, no, we've got the better quarterback because you want it to be the case. You know, like that's the way it is on both sides, both Titans and both. Correct. Both and it goes deeper than fans, too. It's the same thing with the GMs, I'm sure, of both sides because they want to be right about the decision they made. If you gave them and backed him into a corner and made them decide, they'd probably die on that hill and be like, no, we want the guy that we drafted. He's going to be the better quarterback. But if they had happened to swap roles, it's the same thing that you get out of any generic press conference, either after a draft or after a trade deadline. About, he was our guy from the very beginning. I mean, I can't believe he was still there. It's incredible. Like, no, no one is going to move off of that until the very end when it's all said and done. And then maybe 20 years from now you get, yeah, we, we probably should have gone with the other guy. Yeah, it, it, let me just bring it back. Wow. Yeah. This kid's showing something tonight. <laughs> um, look, man, if you're doing a side-by-side -side comparison, I don't think you can underestimate a, basically a lost rookie season for Anthony Richardson. That's a big deal, Jimmy. Yeah. To only have four starts and to not finish three of them, and that's it throwing less than 100 passes on the heels of throwing less than 400 passes in college. Like, you can't just expect it to, like, snap your fingers and he realizes his potential. That's sure. what I keep hearing is, man, if he, if he reaches his potential, how is he going to reach his potential if he's had 13 college starts and got lost for most of the season in his rookie year. It's not just going to fall from the heavens, right? It takes reps. It takes experience. It takes time out there. And he's behind when it comes to all of those things. And I feel for him. That sucks. I'm not blaming him for anything. I'm just saying that's the end result, and that can't be glossed over. All that he can do, and Colts fans should treat it the same way. Like, if there's Colts fans out there that are frustrated once again with the direction of the franchise. And I know there are because we had our long discussion about the state of the team and, and whether or not you trust Chris Boward in the development of this roster moving forward. I know they're out there, but if you're trying to cope with the lost season of Anthony Richardson, still the way you have to look at it as a fan, the way the front office has to look at it and the way Anthony Richardson has to treat it is sure. I got a couple starts, but this is now a red shirt year for me and I need to do everything that I can outside of on-the-field activity to get as mentally sharp, get as understanding about this offense, understanding about what Shane Steichen wants out of his units, and moving in a progressive state that's going to set things up where it's execution and rehab. You know you have it locked down upstairs. You know what it's like to be in the NFL in terms of your daily routine. Now it's all about the development of the physical and of what you're doing snap-by-snap, drive-by-drive. Does it stink, and is it a massive blow that – he isn't going to be out there again this year, and you're going to have to wait nearly a year, a little less than a year, before he yeah. gets back onto a field. Yeah, that that it's insurmountable, right? You can't properly state how big of a loss that is. But the rookie season as a whole isn't fully lost yeah. because this is the same boat he would have been in if they didn't start him. The only difference is he's hurt now, and he's got to rehab through that. But by all accounts... Again, neither of us are. I can say that confidently. Neither of us are doctors. But by all accounts from those reports, his surgery on his shoulder should hopefully put that to bed. And all you can hope, like we talked with Stevanya Bell of ESPN, fantasy football and ESPN injury experts, 
All you can hope is that it's so early, you can't really say if he's injury-prone or not. You need to let the career play out, and all you can hope is that he's not injury-prone and that he's going to get the opportunity to stay upright because that would be the larger crime for me, Brian. The larger crime of his career would be if you're not able to see him succeed or fail. That that would be the larger letdown for me if I was a Colts fan because I want to know if he was going to be great or if we were wrong to take him in the first place. Well, and that's where I come back to if you look at Anthony Richardson, okay, in his rookie season through 84 passes. Okay, so I'm, I'm thinking of it from like a reps standpoint. Sure. Okay, just reps, repetitions, getting out there, you know, experience, all that stuff matters. So if you look at Will Levis right now, through two starts, he's thrown 68 passes. That should be in the 300s, <laughs> like this year. He should be their guy. He should have that many passing attempts in that neighborhood this year. That's a big deal. Then if you go back to college, you look at Anthony Richardson, been well-documented, under 400 passing attempts. Will Levis in college, over 700. So you start adding this up, Jimmy, and all of a sudden you're getting into the 500, 600 territory in terms of passing attempts where Will Levis will have that much more than Anthony Richardson. At least he should, unless the Titans are out of their mind and they're like, let's run it back with Tannehill. I mean, that, things were going great with him. You know, They should get Will Levis out there. And if he gets that many reps over Anthony Richardson, he's going to have that much more experience, which obviously matters a ton when you're trying to get a sense of the timing, the speed of the NFL. He'll be further along in his development. And you can't undersell that. That's just what it is. Yeah, I mean, there's right. There's nothing that anybody can do to fight that, right? It's just a matter of the situation. All you can hope, again, is that Anthony Richardson is able to, because there were a lot of question marks as well of how would the NFL speed? How would he be able to hold up against that? How would he be able to read exotic coverages? And how would things be able to click for him? Would it happen quickly or would it happen in a time of growth? And there's going to be a learning curve there. And not to say that can't still happen, but... There is still ground for him to make up in terms of being a rookie quarterback and learning life in the NFL. But in terms of the on-field experience, which is why I, many Colts fans, and the front office wanted him to start from the get-go, is they knew how imperative it was for him to get those starts. All in all, all I can really look at, I can't look at the pass attempts that he got because there's two incomplete games there. In his real consistent games, they let him throw 37 times and 25 times against the Rams. The other two games cut short by injury, only 10 pass attempts against the Texans, only 12 pass attempts against the Titans. There are areas where in the small sample size, but in the Rams and Jags game, I liked a lot of what I saw from him, but I need to see more. And unfortunately, both for his growth and our observations, it's on hold for a year. While Will Levis, on the other hand, like any rookie quarterback, wants to take advantage of his opportunity. He seized in front of him and through two games, he's done that. What would be wild, though, is if they're both basically in the same boat in terms of starts, and the only way that would happen outside of injury is yeah. if the Titans are dumb enough right. to go back to Ryan Tannehill. Right. <laughs> Which they might be. That's the thing is I don't put it past them. I don't either. To do exactly that. It wouldn't surprise me, even though I think they would be out of their minds to do that. By the way, I told you yesterday that I understand I was Will Levis drive away from being wrong, 
but I told you that was going to be an ugly game that Mike Tom would find oh, a way to man. win it because that's that just such... that that is just a pinnacle Mike Tom would hey yes. we won nine games and remember that win over the Titans that was to a T <laughs> what that game was man you talk about winning ugly and winning's the most part most important part of that phrase winning ugly yeah. right they're still winning games but think about this they showed this graphic on SportsCenter last night it blew my mind this is over the last two seasons right this season and last season. The Steelers have had seven wins when scoring 20 or fewer points. <laughs> it's the most in the NFL. They've got seven wins. This is like, you know, the uh, like the uh, the Ravens in 2000 winning games like 16 to 13 <laughs> and stuff like that. You've got the Steelers, seven wins after trailing through three quarters. So they've got a bunch of comeback wins. And then seven wins when being outgained in yards. That's tied for the most over the last two seasons. Jimmy, they don't have – there's this amazing stat. They don't have a game this year where they outgained the opponent. They're 5-3. and three. They've gotten outgained in every game. Did That's you, crazy. Did you already read the, the Steelers are the 34th team in NFL history to be outgained in each of the first eight games of the season, but they're the only team of that entire bunch to have a winning record through those yes. eight games <laughs> rattle that off again yeah so, 34th team in nfl history to be outgained in the first eight games and they're, they're the, the only, only one. ones with a winning record only one only one with a winning record <laughs> look That's man insane. like i i don't know what else to say other than like mike tomlin is consistent i've always liked mike, mike tomlin i think he's a great head coach and if you doubted that Look no further than who's been under center the last five years and look at where they've still been. Arguably very frustrating for the Steelers front office and the fan base at times because you're kind of stuck in mediocrity with where you're at because your defenses are always so good, but your quarterback play has been kind of meh and the running back room is like, I think a lot of people thought that it was going to be Najee Harris and now it's kind of a by committee where Warren looks really good. All in all though, yeah, the Steelers will always be a competitive in-your-face team that hovers right around 500 and this year is able to do it despite getting outgained in every game they've played. I'll say this super fast, Jimmy, is I think that the Steelers get all of the credit for that being the case and that shouldn't be the case. <laughs> Meaning <laughs> they do a lot to – they play good defense. They make a key play here. They do a lot of things that lead to wins, okay? But not every time. You go back to the game they hosted the Ravens this season, sometimes teams are just drunk. Sometimes teams just <laughs> drop an easy touchdown catch yeah. or, like, fumble a punt. Or, you know what I mean? Like, we have a tendency to give the Steelers all the credit for forcing the hand of their opponent, and that's not always the case. Sometimes they just right. surely luck out as well. No one's going to complain about luck. Nobody's going to complain about mistakes for the other team, and you're especially not going to do it when you can't outgain your opponent. You're going to welcome yeah, any and all luck that comes your way. Man, that is wild. Okay, guest list, 1 o'clock, Pat Boylan, Pacers sideline reporter. Uh, we'll talk to KB, Kevin Bone at 2 o'clock. David Newton covers the Panthers for ESPN. We'll talk to him at 2.30. Coming up next, are you excited for a new wave of just – amazing I don't even know how to describe it Jimmy <laughs> action some amazing breathtaking action uh, I've got some thoughts 
on this. I, I know Jimmy will as well. We'll throw it your way next. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. Squarian Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Jimmy, can I think something is boring but also a good idea at the same time. Do you think that's possible? I think it is, yes. Do you know what I'm getting at here, possibly? Unless you're talking about the Steelers' offense and them still winning, (laughs) I'm uncertain. I have no idea. That would be the uh, in-season tournament of the NBA. Ah, I see. I think this is boring, Um, but I also think it's smart because, listen – a lot of fans just say, hey, wake me up when football season is over and I'll start paying attention to basketball. Not everybody. There are some hoops heads out there that are all in. They're watching these games. But you know as well as I do, the casual fans, they're not plugged in. They're in football mode, a lot of them. And so to do an in-season tournament, which begins tonight, by the way. It does. And it's over the course of the next month. Pacers, Cavs. That's right. You get pool play. You get... Unique uniforms and courts, right? You get pool play, then there's a knockout stage, and then there's the Final Four in Vegas and an in-season champion. This isn't soccer, Jimmy, okay? I I don't know how exciting this is going to be, but I'll tell you what, even if it's relatively boring, I I think it's an outside-the-box idea that even if you get a minor bump, even if you get just a few headlines, yeah. and you've probably seen these alerts on your phone. Hey, check out these new uniforms. Hey, check out the courts for the in-season tournament. Yep. A lot of people roll their eyes, but it's still coverage. It's still coverage you wouldn't have been getting if you didn't do this thing, which I think is largely boring. Is that not a contradiction that still makes some sense. It's a weird thing here. It is a contradiction that does make sense, but I would argue that it's inherently not boring because it's new. And the reason that I would argue it's not boring is based on a lot of the evidence you've outlined. You're getting an increase in engagement on social media, whether positive or negative, about the jerseys, about the courts, about people trying to figure out how this thing works which for those that don't follow European soccer or don't follow the World Cup, the idea of group play can be confusing. But it turns what would be a, and I've said this, the Pacers are a fun team this year, so maybe it doesn't apply to this market, but it turns what would be a Friday night, the first week of November, regular season meeting, Pacers-Cavs, second time they've played each other already this season. It turns what would be that into some skin in the game, perhaps. Mm -hmm. It all depends on execution. It all depends on how much real buy-in you get from star players around the league. I think if it's done the right way, and we'll find out, I think in the coming weeks, if it's going to be done the right way, then it will have been a success for the NBA because all it takes is a couple more eyeballs, a couple more elements of intrigue because for the league, it's not really costing them that much to do this. Like, sure, I guess you're changing the courts and you're modifying jerseys, but you'll make some of that up in jersey sales and revenue in that regard. 
And then in terms of the schedule, you're not adding any more games than you would have played otherwise unless you make it to Vegas for the final four of the thing or the semifinals and the final. And on top of that, you're also reintroducing or trying to introduce Vegas in a way that's not just summer league. And you know the league wants that. They already have the aces out there on the WNBA side. They want to get a footprint further in Las Vegas. And this is what that allows them to do. From the fan standpoint, diehard NBA fans probably doesn't do much for them. But for casuals and people that want to see something change about the monogamous aspect or the monotony aspect of the 82-game regular season, this does that. So I don't think it's boring. I think it's new and it's intriguing. Oh man, I think it's fall asleep boring. <laughs> okay, but can you can you elaborate? Because why? Like, what part of it? Because it's just a regular season game that has yeah. some confetti and some icing on top of it. Well, that's why I think it's stupid. Okay, see, but that's like, different. Stupid that, and boring to me but are two it's different the same things. Thing. It, it's stupid and boring. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> where, where it's like, why would we throw confetti for someone winning a game on, I forget when the championship is, like December 6th or December 9th or something like that? Why would we ever do that? We never would. But now we are. I, I think that's stupid. But at the same time, <laughs> if you get any sort of buzz. It's a win. It is a win. So it it's stupid and makes some sense, which makes it less stupid, yet still stupid. I, I don't know how to <laughs> – it's weird. I, I know this. The NBA needs a team with some history to win this thing. They can't have the Clippers win the in-season tournament because it's just going to be a joke, right? Like – that's all they're going to get is, oh, look at the banner going up at, at Staples Center in comparison to what the Lakers you, have you hear, all their banners. You need cachet. Yes, you, you, you need you, some cachet. You need some cachet in it. At a minimum, you need there to be a big market team in that semifinal and probably in the championship game. If you wind up getting, oh. let's just say, Warriors, and we'll use the Pacers. Like If the Pacers win the thing and you see a smaller market win the in-season tournament over a bigger market – I feel like you can get away with it. If you wind up having, I don't know, Hawks and Pelicans, yeah, then you probably failed in what you wanted to get, <laughs> right? But, like, you need you need somebody. I would concede you need somebody. That said, I would argue if it's a team that is, like, in a we're almost there year, like a team that is, hey, we're, we're probably not a championship contender this year, but we're getting close and not an NBA Cup contender, by the way. I mean, the actual Larry O'Brien trophy. Right, right. Maybe this is a launching pad, right? Like, maybe that's what the league is going for with it. I don't know. I think at their core, they realize that in an ever-changing sports landscape and an ever-changing media world where so many different things are trying to grab your attention, if you even get a slight increase on the needle from this on what would be just an ordinary Friday night in the NBA – it will have won for you. Okay, let's go through a quick list of would this be good or bad for the NBA if uh, insert the blank team wins the in-season tournament. Okay. Okay? Uh, obviously, Celtics, Sixers, Bucks, that'd all be good, right? Just based on what you explained. They've got some history, and they're in contention to win the actual championship this year, right? So those all be would be good for the NBA. How about this? Hawks, bad, right? Yeah. Magic, bad, no history, 
You can't win. It's just like, oh, gosh, I roll. They win the in-season tournament. And, 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 and there's not a current story there, right? There's not like a, a rising star. Bancaro, what are you talking not, about? Uh, I mean, not a uh, – let me rephrase that. I apologize. I don't mean to disrespect Bancaro right that, him getting strays on a Friday. <laughs> I, I mean, like, the magic as a whole, even with Bancaro, this is not one of those launching pad teams for me where it's like they're a year away. Like, like I think right, you can get yeah. away with it if it's a year away team. So they, they're not in that. Nets – Thumbs down. Yes. They, they don't have the star power. Knicks. That's an interesting one. Would the Knicks that winning walks the, the tightrope? That walks the tightrope. Because tight I don't. Rope. I don't think they'd raise the banner. I don't. I don't think the Knicks would they do it. Not. Like they. They have. They have the cachet of a big market, but I don't think the Knicks would want that hanging around MSG. Um. There's a list of bad. Cavs got to be bad. Bulls bad right now. Raptors horrible. Pistons awful. Like these are worst case yep. scenarios. Hornets. Wizards. Heat, wow, Heat one oh, and man. four. The, do you have any idea? I would, I would be willing to give a fair amount to see the Wizards win the NBA Cup. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh, Kyle Kuzma <laughs> just averages forty a game. They don't do anything all year, but they right. win the NBA Cup. Jordan Poole just comes alive. <laughs> here's, here's the, the tough question here. Last team in the East, good or bad, for the NBA, if the Pacers won the in-season tournament. Be I- honest. I think I think based on the list that we've gone through, they're a team that it would be good for. It wouldn't be like excellent for in terms of the other cachet franchise, and the Pacers aren't really in that. But they do have a rich history as a franchise, and they're a team that I feel like is a playoff team this year and a year away if they continue to do things the right way from being in the mix. So, yeah, is there a little bias on me? Sure, but I don't think it would be bad. It'd be bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's just listen. It's not a big market. Tyrese team. Halliburton's a budding superstar. Like they, like I, I don't think it'd be bad. I he was an All Star last year. Like I, I think that that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. What if Halliburton? That's a that's a tough question now because you got to go in the hot tub time machine. If Halliburton, if he were still with the Kings, yeah, would it, right now would it be good or bad for the Kings? I King, think Kings are a lovable right. team. I think it'd fun. be okay. Right. Yeah. Like the beam. They they've they've grabbed the national spotlight. I, I think it'd be good. Yeah. Um, okay, let's, let's we'll do this coming up next. <laughs> Look at the teams <laughs> in the Western Conference. Would it be good or bad for the NBA? Did we answer Miami Heat? That would be good. Would it be not they were just in the NBA finals. They've yeah. won a couple of actual championships. Got, That'd be good. You got a superstar in Jimmy Butler. Yeah, that they'd be fine. They'd be all right. One in four, Jimmy. To start off the Shaky season. start for Miami. <sighs> Alarm bells in South Beach for certain. Yeah, not the greatest start right there. Uh, we got a lot to do. Colts and Panthers will be knee-deep into that. Uh, Pat Boylan talking Pacers at the top of the hour. So we'll do a little in-season tournament, little NFL right around the corner. I'm Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The fan. Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook on The Fan. So we will, uh, <laughs> when we talk to Pat Boylan, at the top of the hour, we will uh, bring back our in-season, good or bad for the NBA power rankings, <laughs> if you will. We'll do that. But you got a couple of minutes right here to carve out some NFL time, Jimmy. Ooh. Now, I thought about you. This is 
it's more impactful. We mentioned this in passing yesterday, but it's more impactful hearing the audio from former Chiefs wide receiver, now current Dolphins wide receiver, Tyreek the Cheetah Hill, talking about facing his former uh, his former team, his former teammates. This is what he had to say. It would have been great to play in KC, but they're going to get this work wherever, though. <laughs> I'd love to give them the business in Kansas City, my old stomping grounds, but I guess Germany will do. I guess we'll have to make do in Germany here. That's what the cheetah says. Look, I don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. I don't. I hope it's a great game. Like, I, like my, Miami could win this game. Like, there's every avenue for them to be able to do so. All I know is what I'm going to go on a hill dying for, Tyreek Hill's finding the end zone. He yeah. He is going to find the end zone. Last I saw it, I think it was minus 120. I don't know what it is now, but that's a bet I will be making even if it, it does involve my team giving up a touchdown there because I, I think it's going to happen. I'm willing to buy into the narrative of it being kind of a revenge game and also Tyreek Hill is one of the best wide receivers in the game. So, yes, I think he finds the end zone. That's about the only thing I am fully confident in going into that 930 game in Germany. Man, he's got over 1,000 receiving yards it's already. It's insane. And look at your receivers. Yeah. Look at, look at these B receivers yeah. all over the place. All I see are number two receivers. Yep. Patrick Mahomes, he's tied for second with eight interceptions in the NFL. He, he'll never complain about his receivers, but he has the right to. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it's not, it is not a strong list of a supporting cast. You have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who had his moments last year, but has struggled this year. Sky Moore is not taking the leap they expected him to in his sophomore season. And Kadarius Toney, ever since that horrific drop season night on opening night against the Lions, haven't really seen a ton of him within the offense. Uh, Rasheed Rice, their rookie out of SMU, has been a bright spot, and yeah. that's been about it. Otherwise, it's the Travis Kelsey show. Isaiah Pacheco has still been his usual self in his second season as a running back. It's been their defense, man. Their defense is top yeah. five, top seven in the league, depending on hey. what metrics you look at. And they've got their work cut they're out. They're gonna for have them. their work cut out for them on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping Teron Armstead is back for the Dolphins. That'd help out a <laughs> ton. A ton. All right. Pat Boylan coming up right around the corner. Pacers radio sideline reporter. We'll talk a little in-season tournament, huh? Beginning tonight Woo! with Indy on the court and the crazy uniforms. Let's get wild. We'll see what Pat has to say about that and beyond with the Pacers. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Today, I want to welcome in Pat Boylan, Pacers radio sideline reporter, joining us here on the show. So we got the in-season tournament kicking off tonight, huh, Pat? Uh... What do the players sound like as far as this thing, this new idea in the NBA this season? You know what? It's been interesting because the takeaways from the players, at least so far, albeit have not, having not played in any games yet, but the takeaways so far have been those of genuine interest and intrigue. You know, I think a lot of people wonder when you see the contracts that these guys are making these days, if the money pool is an incentive or not. And, you know, the, 
even not being asked about it. A couple of players, um, Buddy Heel brought it up the other day, uh, talked about the, the pot being a, a, a significant incentive. And so, you know, it's, it's something new. And I think the NBA has always kind of been on the forefront of ingenuity and, and trying to come up with new and fresh ideas. And uh, we'll, we'll find out along with all of you how this thing goes. But, yes, first one is up here tonight. And one thing that I do think is significant that I really like about what the NBA is doing with this is some people might not know the WNBA has had a version of this uh, for the past few years. And I also do play-by-play for the Fever. And overall, it's gone over pretty well. I think one of the challenges with the WNBA's version is people don't always know okay, when is this game also, uh, in their verbiage, a Commissioner's Cup game or an in-season tournament game in the NBA? And one thing that I think the NBA has done that is very smart is these courts make it extremely obvious when these (laughs) games are. So if you haven't seen the Pacers court, uh, you're not going to watch a Pacers in-season tournament (laughs) game at home and wonder, is it an in-season tournament game or not? It's pretty obvious. Pat, I'm always involved and excited when more stakes are at play. And just to make sure we have it right, I think we did it justice earlier, but I want to get clarification from you. So we're in group play right now. And for those that don't know, it's kind of like the model of the Champions League for soccer across the pond, where it's a random teams put into respective pots within their own conference. And then the winner of each of those groups moves on. And then it's a wild card team from each conference based on their play in group play and their conference record. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And actually the way that I, that this at least makes the most sense to my brain is if you're a baseball fan and you can go back, Oh gosh, how long has this been now? I guess it's been a, a little while, but maybe 10 years or so before the extra wild cards started getting added in, you had three divisions in baseball, each division winner made it. And then a fourth wild card team, the best team of those three divisions made up the four playoff teams on each side. So from a qualification standpoint, it's just like that. The three group winners, there are three groups in the East, three groups in the West. The three group winners of those four games that you will play uh, will advance. And then one extra wild card team among the three. So you certainly want to be in a position where you're leading your group because that's the auto qualifier, but you can get in if you've played well and another team has played even better in your group. And then for regular season games, it, it it's all the same regardless of if you move through or not up until, is it the semifinal or is it the final that would be an extra game? Yeah, the only game that you're going to watch in the in-season tournament that will not count as a regular season game is the championship matchup. So if you're watching an in-season tournament game or an in-season knockout round game, these games are also qualifying for the regular season. And I think that's the simplest way to put it is, look, there's going to be people that I think love this. There's going to be people, um, you know, that are traditionalists that say this isn't really for me. And the thing I would stress to people that are maybe in that boat is if you want, you can just kind of forget the in-season tournament is happening because it's all alongside these regular season games. So this game tonight, yes, it's an in-season tournament game but it counts toward the regular season standings just like any other game would have on a Friday night. And if you make the knockout round, if you make that top eight that we were just discussing, those first two games that you would play in are also counting towards your regular season record. So it's just the championship game where that differs. And that's because they don't want 
anybody playing an 83rd game. I'm hoping for one player to just come out and blast this thing. You know what I mean, Pat? Like, do you think there will be anyone that's like, I don't even know what we're doing. How can we have the championship game be the only game that doesn't count statistically? I just want someone to go on a rant. I'm not fully against it. I, I just think, uh, hey, it's if it gives them some buzz in November and December, God bless them because sometimes you get lost in the football shuffle. So I'm not dead set against it. I just think it would be hilarious if a player blasted this thing. Do you think we're going to get anything even close to that? <laughs> you know, the reason I don't think so is because, you know, like I said, all of these games are also counting toward regular season games. So if you get a player that, that, that is not really a fan of this, well, it's important that you win these games anyway because they're counting towards your record. And I think first and foremost, you know, that, that's what's important here. This game tonight counts toward the Pacers' record, toward making the playoffs once they get to April. It also counts in the second pot. And the reason I think in general you're getting a positive outlook from the players is because, you know, any time you dangle a little extra money in front, that helps. And so, you know, I, I think from that aspect, look, if you're going to go all the way to the championship game – you know, is it a little quirky that that game doesn't count for the standings? Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from there. But once you get to that point, you know, these players are going to be making money. I, I don't remember the exact pot, uh, but if you get to a championship game and you're playing an extra game that doesn't count, well, you're also going to be taking home a check too. So that's why I think ultimately um, it'll be a winner with the players and ultimately I think why – you have seen a general positive discourse. At least I can only speak to the Pacers players, but it's been a general positive discourse from a Pacers perspective. Pat Boylan of the Pacers Radio Network taking some time with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Pat Boylan Pacers. Pat, I don't want to visit it too much because it was gross, but what, if anything, did we learn about the Pacers in the beatdown at the hands of the Celtics? And is it possible to measure what that game would have been like had Tyrese Halliburton been out there? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good and a fair question. And I always try to view the first five to ten games from a prism of if this happened, if this game or this stretch of games happened in late January, is it catching your eye in the same way that it does now? And don't get me wrong, a loss in the way that the Pacers fell um, the other day is one that catches your eye in January. But I think it's also important to look at the bigger picture here. Um, you know, they did have a 20-plus a point win and a 10-plus point win earlier in the season, too. I think if you were to start to see scenarios where, if especially if Halliburton wasn't playing, if the Pacers were just, you know, significantly uncompetitive and you started seeing more examples of that, then I definitely think um, it would be cause for concern and if you look at last year's team, the Pacers were five games over 500 at the midway point. And without Tyrese Halliburton, and some of this was the injury that happened right at the midway point of the season, and then some of this was he was sitting late in the season. So a couple different scenarios there. Uh, but the Pacers were 7-19 and 19 when they didn't have him last year. And I think it goes without saying that when Halliburton is not available this year, the Pacers have to do better than that winning percentage because he's probably not going to play 81 or 82 games. That is, you know, not unrealistic, but probably unlikely. So you're going to have hopefully not a huge stretch of games without Halliburton this year, but you probably will have a stretch in there. It's the NBA. And I think that's just being realistic. So improving when you don't have him, I think is a massive goal for this team this year because they were in a great spot 
and then his injury kind of derailed things. And so if you come into a significant or a similar situation this year, you want to be able to survive that stretch. And obviously Boston the other night was not a good first example of that. But in general, early in the season, you know, I, I try to take the positives and the negatives and just kind of put them on hold until you get enough games under your belt to draw any sort of conclusions or any sort of trends. You look at the Pacers' defense here, Pat, uh, giving up the second most points per night than anybody else in the league, only the Wizards are worse. Do you see the Pacers' defense at least getting respectable this year? Well, I think it maybe is the biggest key uh, to the season this year. They were near the very bottom a couple of years ago, and I think they were 25th in defensive rating last year. I do think it's important when you look at the Pacers defensively this year that I think you've seen this trend in general in the NBA and college basketball, but a look at defensive rating versus points scored because the Pacers are going to be running up and down the floor and the Pacers are going to have games like the opener where they give up 120 points and they win handedly. And that's not necessarily an example of the defense playing poorly, but just the amount of possessions that you Mm -hmm. have. But To answer your question, I think it's probably the biggest key of the season is the Pacers were somewhere around 25th last year. Are they going to get into the top 10? It would be nice, but I don't think they have to get there. I think they need to get somewhere closer to – I think if they end the season in the defensive rating in the 15 to 20 area and their offense is able to do what it appears like it can do – then I think they'll really be happy with where things stand. So, you know, you have, a, you have a game where you give up 155 to Boston. It's going to skew numbers early in the year. As we talked about, the key is, not, is making sure that you're not having another one of those or another few of those here come up, especially in the next couple of weeks. Um, so I think there's reasonable hope, right? You went out and got Bruce Bowen for that specifically, um, and I think he's going to help. I think a guy like Andrew Nebhardt in year two is going to help. Um, This probably isn't a team that's a defensive stalwart this year, but I do think if they can take that next step forward, which I think is a reasonable expectation, uh, Jim Boylan as well, assistant coach, he's been an NBA coach and is a defensive specialist, is on the staff and working closely with that group. Um, I think if they can get there into that 15 to 20 range, I think that'll solve a lot of problems and they'll like where they are at the end of the year. Um, And and we'll see if they can get there. Pat, how much of this matchup tonight, Pat Boylan, Pacers sideline reporter for the Pacers radio network, taking some time with us here on the fan. Pat, how much of tonight's matchup against the Cavs, second meeting, as you mentioned, between these two teams already, changes from both a measuring stick standpoint and how the Pacers will have to be prepared with Donovan Mitchell expected to play and then Darius Garland and Jared Allen questionable at this point, or at least last I saw. Yeah, you know, the the game they played in Cleveland, there was no Donovan Mitchell, there was no Jared Allen, uh, there was no Darius Garland, and the Pacers got off to a slow start but ultimately took care of business. And the Pacers obviously have injury questions uh, with themselves. Tyrese Halliburton not playing against Boston, and I don't think, at least unless I just missed it, that there has been a, a determination on him tonight. So it, it makes tonight's game you know right now a little tough to gauge where are the Pacers health-wise and whereas Cleveland health-wise I think having Mitchell makes all of the difference for Cleveland don't get me wrong they're probably not the type of team that's competing to go to the Eastern Conference Finals without Allen and without Garland Um, but the difference between the Cavs without all three of those 
versus the difference between the Cavs of not having Allen and Garland. But yes, having Mitchell, I think is really significant. He's a he's that type of player that can take over a game that just his presence alone can totally change the dynamic. Unfortunately, there's a lot of different possibilities for how the injury report looks here tonight. But, um, you know, you're playing against a, a team in your conference, a team that you probably went into the year viewing like you're chasing. You got a good win already. And if you could get a win here tonight, you've got two wins against the Cavs team that by the end of the year is probably going to be in the top four, top five. And if you can do that, even if injuries aid you in doing that, you're going to get a couple of wins that I think other teams around the Pacers at the end of the year might not be getting. So I do think there is some significance in this game um, from that regard. Pat, I'm sure you've broken this down from a betting standpoint, the in-season tournament, right? Like, who are we putting our money on? Who's going to win this whole thing? (laughs) Well, to be clear, uh, we get a a nice either in-person or video um, (laughs) demonstration before every single year that makes it very, very clear about uh, what we can and cannot bet on within the NBA and within the Pacers. So to answer your question specifically – Uh, No, I unfortunately haven't been able to do all of that. Uh, But, you know, I think think with just the four games being played in the group stage round, I think what what you have the potential is is just for a a lot of wild scenarios to occur. Um, You you go over the course of an 82-game season or even a month of an NBA season – and you have 14, 15 games, and things start to you know, kind of level out. The outlier games kind of level out a little bit. When you only play four games, uh, you probably can only lose once to make the knockout round. So if you're a really good team and you have an injury on one night and then you have a bad night, like you're out. And if you're a team that's not that good, but you have a couple of hot nights and maybe catch some injury luck, like with only four games to determine who makes the knockout round, I think you could see some pretty wild results once we get there. And so, you know, from that perspective, uh, maybe it makes things a lot more up in the air than it would say, let's play 82 games and let's do a best of seven series. We're talking about four games and knockout rounds now. So I think, I think the potential of an upset is far, far greater than in a regular NBA season and playoffs. Pat, a different angle. No, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Go go, go ahead. I was going to say a different angle on that for the Pacers as a franchise. I know it's so weird to ask this because everybody likes winning, right? No one's going to be upset with winning. But Brian and I were discussing this last segment about (laughs) what does it do for the NBA or what does it do for a franchise if they win the first version of the NBA Cup? I'd argue if it's a team that feels like they're maybe a year or two away from really being in the Larry O'Brien conversation maybe this is a launching point tournament do you feel that same way for the Pacers if they were able to hoist this thing at the end in December yeah you know I think it could be look our, our, if the Pacers were to make the championship game are all fans around Indianapolis and Indiana going to be on the edge of their seats and losing their minds like they were you know in the Eastern Conference <laughs> Finals runs or the no that's not going to happen of course But I think what you can potentially gain from this is if you are able to make the knockout rounds, which, by the way, you know, just looking at that a little bit, you've got Cleveland and you've got Philadelphia in your group. So making the knockout stage is not going to be easy. Those are two really good teams. And Atlanta, we'll see. They've had kind of an up and down last couple of years. But Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, 
you know the firepower that comes with them. So making the knockout rounds in of itself would be quite an accomplishment when you look at the group that the Pacers are in. But if, if you're playing in these games and you make the knockout round, there's going to be uh, more eyeballs on you. You're going to be on ESPN or you're going to be on TNT versus maybe what a regular season game would otherwise look like. And if you're advancing and you're getting to the final four and you're fortunate enough to make the championship, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on you. And I guarantee you those games in the knockout round and in the championship feel different than just a regular game in the season. So I do think from a momentum or from a, you know, gain some confidence perspective, if you play well in this, if you go even all the way and somehow win it, could that be something that you build upon? Yeah, I do think so. But I also think it's being realistic about the difference of this in-season tournament and the playoffs. I think nobody is going to argue or even make the case that this is even close to the level of importance as the playoffs. Uh, But as far as November, maybe early December basketball goes, I do think it's a good measuring stick and maybe a chance for a team like the Pacers to get some confidence. Uh, Real fast, Pat, because I'm curious about this. The video that you watch and uh, not discussing gambling, certainly not participating in gambling. I'm just curious if one of these knucklehead radio hosts – like, you know, like Jimmy Cook. You know, I would never do something like this. But if Jimmy's just like, hey, uh, who do you think's going to win the in-season tournament? You know, or uh, what do you think Pacers plus 11 tonight? Or, like, what What can you actually say? Can you even throw it out there like, I'm not betting on it, but, I mean, the Bucks look like a good team to win this in-season tournament. Like, what can you and can't you say when it comes to stuff like that? No, you can certainly make predictions. Um, I, I think where it can get a, a little murky is if you're making specific posi- uh, predictions based on a specific bet, right? Like there's nothing keeping me from saying, I think there's a pretty good chance that Denver repeats as champions. Mm-hmm. And the, the, what has gotten a little murky, right, is, is how much just gambling has been infiltrated into all of pro sports and all of sports in general over the last few years. But um, I, you know, I know Jeremiah Johnson and on the TV side, like they have a, they will look at betting lines, but it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's honestly, it's a, it's a fine line to toe. And admittedly, I play it a little bit on the conservative side because as somebody that myself doesn't have a ton of interest in gambling other than, you know, maybe the Indy 500 or the Kentucky Derby, to <laughs> me, that's fun, but I'm not a regular gambler. So uh, for me, I definitely toe the line conservatively. No doubt about that. Well, hey, we'll be watching tonight with the uh, crazy uniforms, the crazy court, the in-season tournament. We're ready to go, Pat, but we appreciate your time today, man. Thank you for uh, for visiting with us. Gentlemen, always appreciate the time. And, yes, uh, you know, when you, when you watch tonight, there's going to be no confusion on whether this is an in-season tournament game or not. If you haven't seen the court, it's very, very obvious. I'm really looking forward to seeing it myself here tonight but appreciate the time here today as always absolutely there he is pat boylan pacers radio sideline reporter joining us here on the fan you know i just had a flashback real fast to the indy 500 so jimmy we got to do a handful of interviews leading up to the race with some of the drivers we did and we talked to joseph newgarden and he was a tremendous interview and right before the race i got to go and, uh, you know, shout out to the fan and, uh, you know, uh, hooking everything up. It, it was awesome. So I'm there at the race and uh, 
leading up to it, like walking in, of course I'm checking the betting lines, you know? And I'm like, oh, old Joseph Newgarden, 40 to 1. And I'm like, what if I just throw 100 bucks on that? And the uh, the other guy that we interviewed, and I'm like, eh, 40 to 1. That's you're at like 30, you know, <laughs> two other drivers. I'm just, th- I don't think I'm going to do that. Next thing I know, mm, final lap, don't. Joseph Newgarden comes through. And I was genuinely happy for the guy because he course. was. He was such a tremendous interview. It was awesome to see him win. But my next thought was, wait, okay, 100 times four, four thousand dollars i could have won unbelievable man i uh, done it. i had a live bet on it but it was for like a, a 50 dollar profit we're not talking about the uh the riches that you potentially left on the table there man ah what could have been huh uh we get back to the in-season tournament here with the nba it kicks off tonight um we went through our eastern conference would this be good for the nba if they won it would it be bad for the NBA if this team won the inaugural in-season tournament, the NBA Cup? How about the Western Conference? It's a scary place. We'll speed through it. Okay. <laughs> These would be good. Okay. Warriors. Yep. Nuggets. Yes. Lakers. Yep. Obviously be good. Um, I think Suns, just ba- they don't have a championship, but look at the firepower that they have. I think that would be good for the for the NBA you because they don't have yeah. a title yeah I mean it, it look it'd be fine right like they are they are a contender this is their window for the Larry O'Brien trophy to see them win it no it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world uh we also already grandfathered in last segment the Kings correct Kings, they were they yeah. were they were on the line but we said Kings we're there fine. we're there it's a little shaky if you don't have a championship in your history but but I think Kings Suns I think that would work how about this one Spurs Yes. The guy Wemby went crazy last yes. night. Yes. I and, think and, that would be it, good as it, well. It is solely based on Popovich, the Spurs rich history as a franchise, and Wembenyama. Like those three things added together makes a cocktail for the NBA Cup. I think that'd be fine if they go ahead and win it. How about this? I think this would be good as well. Dallas. Yeah. Get some star power with Kyrie and Luka and they're undefeated right now. Yes. Only only, only them and the Celtics are undefeated right now. I just saw an alert a little bit ago that uh, Kyrie Irving going to play tonight. So, yeah, I mean, look, you're, you're getting him up for the NBA Cup. It'll be, it'll be good. Yeah, Mavericks win it. That'd be fine. Yeah, I think so, too. How about um, what would be bad for the NBA? Okay, Pelicans. The Trailblazers. <laughs> the Trailblazers would be <laughs> horrific. You went straight to the Blazers. Absolutely huh? horrific if it was the Trailblazers. No, um, no, no, Dame now, obviously, and you got yeah. Shaden Sharp yeah. and Scoot, and no, Robert Williams, the doesn't old do Celtic, doesn't do it for you. Okay, would no. be bad. Um, uh, Memphis right now would be bad. They're winless. No, yeah. John Morant, that that wouldn't be good. Houston, that's not good. No. Um, how about this Jazz? I'd also say bad. Probably bad. Bad. Um, Timberwolves, borderline but bad. I'd go bad. Correct. Team bad. Uh, Thunder bad, even though SGA is tremendous. It's just they're not in true contention to win a championship this year. I think the answer is also bad for this next team, but I can't decide because of the narrative around their star player. If the Pelicans won it, but Zion balled out, and this is like a jumping off point for, okay, he's finally healthy and he turns it into a great rest of the season. Would that be good, or because it's the Pelicans inherently, would it be bad? 
I, I lean bad, but the sticking point is, does Zion go crazy? Right. If he does, I think that could be good. Can you imagine, Jimmy? These are treated as regular season games. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if the crazy Clippers just load manage within like the final four or something crazy <laughs> like that? Oh, that would be tremendous if they did that. Isn't there supposed to be, and I don't have it in front of me anymore, but isn't the NBA supposed to be like emphasized extra this year on load management? And on top of that, if it happens in the <laughs> NBA Cup where they're trying their best, putting themselves on the line here to make it matter, like, yeah, no, nah, we're not going to. We're not going to play it. Not, that would not be a good look. It would be comical, but it would not be a good look. Oh, man, that would be so funny. I think I'm rooting for that more <laughs> than a player just blasting this you idea. You just want people to sit out. Yeah. That would, <laughs> all right. In Vegas for the Final Four, the Clippers actually resting both Paul George Ooh. and Kawhi Leonard tonight against <laughs> so-and-so. Oh, man, could you imagine that? That is crazy. By the way, you mentioned the Trailblazers real fast. I always find this interesting. So the trademark, it's actually two words, just like Super Bowl. Super Bowl, two words, okay? Both capitalized. I don't know why we make it one word. That's the sticking point for me. Same thing with Trailblazers. It's two words. This comes from uh, Todd Adams a couple of years ago. He was the Trailblazers director of brand and retail marketing, okay? So what he says One thing that helps us from a legal standpoint, the actual noun trailblazer is one word, but our team name is trailblazers as two words, so that's something that we're able to own actually from the U.S. Trademark Office, and it also allows us to shorten and take the second term, blazers, which you see on our jerseys. So there you go. Heads up legal play there. That's, Good legally savvy. Work. It's savvy and it's technically wrong. It's wrong to put Portland Trailblazers <laughs> as one word. That's not the case. I uh, I feel like I've always seen it as two words, so I don't know that I've made that mistake, but it, it seems like an easy one to make for certain. Oh, you will notice it all the freaking time. Do people now, do that with the Super Bowl? Oh, they, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, all the freaking really? time. Yes. What are we doing, dude? <laughs> It is the hill I will die on. I want that on my epitaph, okay? Super Bowl is two words. <laughs> You'll see it where, like, the S is capitalized. It's all just one word. I'm like, I've never in my life seen Rose Bowl as one word. <laughs> never. I've never seen Sugar Bowl as one word. Sure. I've seen Super Bowl as one word over and over and over. Jimmy, it's crazy. I'm going to look epitaph. out for it next year, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I will join you in that fight. You will, you'll see it, man. Please join me. (laughs) I used to have that on my Twitter bio. I think I took it. I don't know if I changed it because it's a little crotchety, but uh, Super Bowl is two words, people. Come on. Let's go. Let's get better. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, we turn our attention to the NFL. Colts in action on Sunday against the Panthers. Things to look for. And Jimmy, there are some marquee NFL matchups. So we'll touch on some of those as well. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And for Jake, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. We got breaking news right out of the gate. Let's do it. 
part of the Colts injury report released via head coach Shane Steichen at his Friday media availability. Well, let me guess. Anthony Richardson. I think they don't, they don't say that anymore. I think that's okay. accepted just, since he's on the IR. Uh, <laughs> the Colts have ruled out cornerback Juju Brents with a quad tackle Braden Smith with a hip slash wrist injury for week nine against the Carolina Panthers should be noted that tight end Kylan Granson cleared concussion protocol. He will play on Sunday liar linebacker Zaire Franklin, who did not practice this week was not ruled out on Friday. And you have to check the final injury report for final distinctions a little later today, but that is at least some clarity. So no Juju Brents once again, and no Braden Smith, the Juju Brents part is the biggest deal of all for me, not to, negate what Braden Smith's able to do for that O-line, but this secondary is walking toast left and right. And without Juju Brents, mm. which is saying a lot of how much they value that rookie, Brian, it, it opens the door for a number of different conversations for us, not just the idea of can the Colts win this game, but also does that make the over more tantalizing for you at all? Knowing oh, yes. that Juju Brents, who <laughs> probably wasn't going to go, is officially ruled out. I love the phrase walking toast. <laughs> That's what the secondary has been Pretty much. for the Colts. Pretty and much. Their offense has moved the ball. It's just Gardner Minshew has been a turnover machine. Yeah. But they've moved it. And, and that goes back. Pan- you talk about injuries, yeah. Jimmy. Look at the Panthers defense, man. <laughs> they are the walking wounded out there. <laughs> Look, it has all the makings, at least on the Colts side. We're, we talked about this yesterday, and I know we'll have it at the end of the show as well. But I believe the Colts have the ability as an offense with Josh Downs, with Michael Pittman Jr., with how they're now utilizing Alec Pierce and the hope that it's another expanded snap count for Jonathan Taylor. They have the ability to put points up on the board. The question is is Carolina, and this is not from a win-loss standpoint for the Colts, this is just the betting standpoint, is Carolina capable of putting up a 20-point frame or somewhere around there? Are they able to get you to that Mm. point? And that at least becomes a little bit more clear that eh, maybe they could with Juju Brents being out. Yeah, well, if you're looking at it from a a betting standpoint with the over being at 44, or the total, I mean, if you're betting the over – you got to get someone to at least 24 to have a fighting chance. Yeah. Right. 24, 21 would get you there. Anything north of 24 is even better. Right. I think the Colts have a decent chance to get close to 30. Their offense has been good. It's just Minshew has nine turnovers and four starts. That's crazy. Yeah. But again, this gets away from the uh, the Colts standpoint. This is where you have to, you know, do a little two-step with Lucifer, if you will. If you're gambling, like if you're a diehard Colts fan and you've got the over, well, the Panthers going to have to score some points, right? Like yeah. so, does Minshew turn it over deep in your own territory? Right. Are we talking a pick six or something? Is it a defensive score? So, assuming that he continues to turn it over, that's over to a game per start. Jimmy, he's averaging over two turnovers per start. And a number of those have been on him because I know people want to say, well, look at the offensive line. Well, sacks happen on a game-by-game basis at a high level across this league. Not everybody's getting strip sacked. Doesn't happen to everybody. And there was a stretch there where, particularly in that Cleveland game, and that's where the margins have increased, it happened twice in one game. So you just need better ball security if pressure is coming. I know that's sometimes easier said than done. You're trying to make a play. You're trying to extend it. But this is a game moving away from the betting and just looking at the Colts' perspective. Yep. Look, I've made it clear. The playoffs are out of 
the limelight for them right now. The schedule is still what it is. Like, yes, maybe they could get hot because of how weak the schedule is, and maybe they're in a conversation there for one of those last playoff spots. But that faded for me fast when they went up against a Saints team that is either slightly better or maybe right around the same area they are, and they got worked versus a Panthers team where this is this is it for me. This is the last stand before I shift into, okay, I still want to see them do well, but like they're not going anywhere this year. You're a better team than the Panthers are. You're a better team than Carolina at a number of different positions, even though it's on the road, even though it's a Frank Gregg revenge game. You should win this football game. But the absence of Juju Brents, the continued question marks with injuries on the O-line, it's not going to be as easy as it probably should be but you should win this football game. If I'm a Colts better, getting back to that angle, Brian, I'd probably just take their over on the on their total. I wouldn't mm. go full game. I would just do their total specifically because I don't know that I trust Carolina on offense. Yeah, well, hey, uh, the Colts defense got to play a whole lot yeah. better. Yeah. Three straight games, giving up 30-plus points. That's just that's not going to cut it. You look last week, uh, you got to look at the most recent performance just as a gauge. Of course, it's a week-to-week league in the NFL results can can vary greatly but you look at the Panthers a 15 to 13 win over the Texans so I, I'm curious gutsy. like <laughs> guts gutsy win <laughs> Pinheiro at the gun right there um the game was painful man particularly cu- the end it, yeah I'm curious how high scoring this game will be but I think there will be points I just I don't trust the Colts secondary and I don't trust the Panthers' lack of defensive health. I think we're going to get some offensive fireworks in this one. I hope so. I mean, from a neutral party standpoint, I hope this is a back-and-forth game. Again, as I look at the two teams, though, I do genuinely think Indianapolis is the better team. I think they are slightly further along in a handful of different areas. You put the quarterback conversation at the door for a number of different spots, mainly because... Richardson, much like if you want to have the Will Levis or C.J. Stroud conversation, it's on pause on his camp, not to say the other quarterbacks can't do things. But in terms of where they're at, the Colts probably feel like they're slightly ahead of where Carolina was. And on top of that, Brian, why it goes back more for how this season has to be frustrating for Panthers fans, not to say they thought they were going to be good, but you punted on what could have been a help speed up the process draft pick when yeah. you traded up to go get Bryce Young, and now it's in the hands of Chicago to see if they're able to not mess that up with two high first-round picks. So it kind of feels like a double-edged sword of a lost season for Carolina as a whole because you're doing all this losing, and it really doesn't matter in terms of getting that pristine draft selection because you made the choice in the offseason to go get Bryce Young. Yeah, think about it. That's got layers mm. where you got Bryce Young. You could have had C.J. Stroud. It's very, very early. But C.J. Stroud's played better than Bryce Young. Yes. We'll yep. see what happens going forward. But yet, at least have to have that thought in your head of, maybe we took the wrong guy. And you traded up, traded a boatload to get Bryce Young, including what could be maybe the number one overall pick in next season's draft, <laughs> like next year's draft. So whoever uses that pick for another quarterback, Bryce Young's going to be compared to both of those guys. And that could be C.J. Stroud and Caleb Williams. And you're sitting there like, we're number three in a three-man pecking order race right here. Like That could very well be the outcome. All you got to hope for 
and this is me being half tongue in cheek here, is that you do well enough this year to where that pick turns out to be Marvin Harrison Jr. instead of another quarterback, and that at least softens some of the blow. <laughs> Won't soften all of it, but yeah, if it's Caleb Williams, then you're having double right. comparisons yeah. for the early portion of Bryce Young's career. Or if it's Drake May, whoever, whoever they decide to go with. That's right. Yeah. You would much rather the comparisons are our guy Bryce Young <laughs> to who we could have drafted C.J. Stroud and a pick that turned out to be, like you said, Marvin Harrison Jr. We just missed That's out on another, to be. Yes. We just missed out on another worldly wideout. That's it. We didn't miss out on a potential yeah. otherworldly quarterback. We just a wideout. We got Thielen. Look at what Adam <laughs> Thielen's doing here. It's okay. It's all good. Man, we got some monster matchups this week in week nine. So my fins against your Chiefs, yep. I think I've got a potential bet for you at the end of the show. All right. I, I've got something in the works over here. So that's the game in Germany. Great matchup. It's awesome. We also have Cowboys-Eagles. Big matchup. Then Sunday Night Football, Bills-Bengals. Those are huge games, Jimmy. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you have a great opener in the morning, you have a marquee NFC East showdown in the 425 window, and then capped off with a potential playoff matchup this year and a playoff rematch from last year in Bengals-Bills is great. And then you look around the rest of the league, I mean, there's not a ton of sexy matchups across the board, but Seattle and Baltimore intrigues me. Like, what is Seattle yes. this year? And Baltimore's fighting for continued proving the doubters wrong of no we're a legitimate contender we're going to make a run this year this is our time that is an intriguing matchup to me I'm not really interested in Arizona and Cleveland the Rams and Green Bay meh and Chicago and New Orleans yeah I, like I said th there are some highlight matchups and this is week to week in the NFL right I'm not complaining about fully football I'm gonna watch all these games that said though there is enough at the start enough mixed in, oh, and then the way the day ends. Yeah, it's going to be a great day of NFL football. Uh, it will be magnificent. And what the Seahawks will be, I don't know. Time will tell. They're a decent team. What they are right now is a first-place team in the NFC West. How about that? After the Niners losing three straight games, and they Seahawks are ahead. They made some moves as well at the deadline or in the weeks to the deadline. I get it. I know Frank Clark is well past his prime at this point, but that's a good depth rotation piece for them along the defensive trenches. I believe they also made a move with New York that I'm just forgetting yeah, off the top Leonard of my head. Right? Leonard Williams, that's right. So, I mean, they, they, they've shored up a bit defensively to the point that, like, they're going to be an intriguing out depending on where things go for them if they do hold on and wind up winning that division, which at this stage... I don't know if I'm willing to fully lock it up, but I mean, it's them or not win the division, make the playoffs. I beg your pardon. Cause I forgot about San Francisco for a second there, but I guess, but they're in a race there, right? Can they hold yeah. on with San Francisco? I don't know about that, but they should be able to punch a ticket to the playoffs. And if they do, they've made the right moves to shore up themselves defensively to at least have a conversation of being a tough out, which is a market improvement. I would say from where they were a year ago. I think both those teams show you that, Quarterback's the most important position. It is far from the only Correct. position. Yep. Because those are two good rosters, especially the Niners. And the two quarterbacks are Geno Smith and Brock Purdy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yep. there's more than just QB. That's all I'm saying. All right, coming up next, we've got some tremendous audio. There are a lot of clips from Bob Knight uh, from yesterday and today because he recently, sadly, passed away. Uh, but there was a clip that we got to share with everybody, Jimmy. It's just hilarious. It's very well done. So we will share that with you right around the corner. I'm Brian, though, in for Jake. He is Jimmy Cook. It's Quarian Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Man, Jimmy, I have to apologize because we will get to the Bob Knight audio next hour. Uh, there's uh, no time. I feel awful about this because uh, this sound is tremendous. It's a little <laughs> long. It's long. It's probably the longest soundbite I've ever played. It's about three minutes. But the context matters. Like the way he sets up the story, what he's talking about, it all matters. So to trim it down, you don't get the full effect, you know? Right. So we'll talk to Kevin Bowen at the top of the hour. And then after we talk to KB, we will play the tremendous Bob Knight audio. And uh, it's just a story he told in true Bob Knight fashion. It's hilarious. But I hate, like, delaying it because they always teach you in radio, man. You tease something, you pay it off right away. Right. Right, right, right. away. And I looked, and I'm, like, doing the math. I'm like, okay, three minutes plus uh, two minutes plus minus. <laughs> That's not going to work. It's not going to work. You know what I'm saying, Jimmy? So we will get that to you at the uh, at the top of the hour. After we talk to KB, we'll get you the Bob Knight audio. And uh, I blame it on uh, the Dolphins and Chiefs in Germany. Okay? <laughs> I'm too fired up for this game and ready to see your Chiefs take another L and my Finns beat a good team. I'm too geeked for that, Jimmy. That's what I blame it on. Yeah, you. I agree. I, too, am tired of seeing the Finns combined record of teams they've beaten and teams they haven't. That needs to change for them, for sure. Be, be good. <sighs> It's unnecessary. It's, the stakes just went up in our potential bet. All right, up up next, uh, Kevin Bowen. KB joins us. We'll talk Colts, NFL, whatever else comes to mind. In-season tournament NBA action. Is KB ready for this thing? So we'll talk a lot of things with KB. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Aquarian Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Please welcome in Kevin Bowen. The wake-up call with KB and Andy joins us here on The Fan. KB, good day to you, sir. Yeah, I just had a, a flashback right before I started talking to you right now. And uh, you lined your pockets with a savvy Pacers season-long over bet on their win total right do you have anything going this season yeah i i um i got a little greedy uh, i'll be honest with you last year obviously very happy i feel like if my son would like to ivy school could be a possibility <laughs> um and now i'm thinking more community college after the first week of the season nothing oh, like no. it, it, nothing like the general overreaction in the nba season to oh yeah by halloween i'm already going here but yes i do i have pacers 45 wins or more. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Getting to f- oh, no. yeah. So, uh, what are we thinking right here? Like, I don't know if their defense is better than the Colts' defense at this point. How, how are we feeling about 45 wins? Yeah, that is fair. You know, if we would have this conversation maybe, I guess, last Friday, I would have, you know, acted a little differently. But, you know, I threw the caveat of when I made the bet, Tyrese Halliburton can't get hurt. Uh, is Tyrese Halliburton worth 51 points? That probably would be a little ludicrous for me to lay the sole blame of Wednesday night totally at not having Halliburton in the lineup. But I do feel like, I mean, if you look at last season, 
you know, this team not only lost more frequently than they won without Halliburton, but I mean, they got blown off the floor many times without him in the lineup. And I would think naturally NBA teams see that they realize that. And even when he's out there, they're going to try to do their best to, you know, whatever, make him work a little extra on the defensive end, get the ball out of his hands offensively, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, the, the highs and lows of gambling, the emotional pull, uh, 1-800-9 with it. Uh, I, I don't feel as optimistic uh, this Friday as I did last Friday, but the, the beautiful part of it, let's chat next Friday and see how I feel again. Did you put that caveat in with the sports book, or was that just a moral caveat in your head? I was trying to figure out how that worked. Is that a push if he gets hurt? Very shame these apps don't allow for the caveats to be thrown in there. Um, yeah, maybe that'll be something that'll happen once Max becomes 18 years old and can do these on his own end. Uh, I, I really don't even know what to think of Wednesday night, to be totally honest with you. Like, is it a – is this all, all of a sudden, is this going to be the norm? You know, Boston is incredible. Uh, I think that's pr- pretty accurate. And uh, the Pacers couldn't throw it in the ocean, even when they did get open looks. So, I think it's five-game five, five homestands, a big one. I think tonight's important, given it's Cleveland. You expect that team to be in the mix with you, or at least that's probably the hope. Um, in this early part of the schedule, we've had Rick Carlisle on now several weeks in a row, and he's made it very clear to us every time we got to take advantage of this early part of the schedule, seven of your first nine at home. So there you go, five in a row. What do you think of this in-season tournament that starts tonight? you think the NBA has a, a good idea here, or are you just sort of shrugging your shoulders at this thing? Yeah, probably a little, uh, if you married those two, you know, a little bit of the shrug of the shoulders, a little bit of, you know, might as well. I mean, mm-hmm. What else, you know, in November and early December of an NBA season? I, if you absolutely hate it, if you think the floor is stupid, if you think the jerseys are dumb, if it's confusing, good news. It counts as one of the 82 to go to the old playoff format that we all know and love. And, and you know, the, no bearing on, you know, any sort of difference with that. And if you want some spice, if you like <laughs> the Premier League maybe, uh, if you're just looking for a little bit something different, in the early part of the season, then this is it for you. And I do think this will provide something. Um, you know, I don't think it's overly confusing. I mean, it definitely takes a, a minute or two to explain. But, you know, basically, it, you know, for anybody that's played AAU basketball or travel baseball or certainly has been a part of soccer tournaments, the World Cup, basically the Pacers are in a five-team group, and the winner of that group makes it to the Elite Eight, and there'll be a couple wild-card spots for the Elite Eight teams, but once you get to Vegas for the Elite Eight, it's one and done. So, uh, And if you don't make it there, you're going to play loser bracket games to satisfy, uh, make sure you have the same amount of games as the teams that, that do win. So I'm good at the NBA trying something new, but at the same time, I don't think we need to you know, book a Georgia Street parade if the Pacers win it either. The fan zone, Kevin Bowen, joins us. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070 and, of course, hear him on the wake-up call with KB and Andy 7 to 10 a.m. on these very airwaves. KB, last thing on the Pacers for me, Donovan Mitchell was not available, as were a handful of other Cavaliers, Darius Garland, notably as well, in the first meeting when the Pacers won 125-113. Going back to the defense, and we had Pat Boylan on earlier, and I'm kind of with him. It's too early to be able to tell where the improvements are, if they're going to be there this season. But what is able to be told is the ability of Evan Mobley to pretty much have his way with the Pacers, especially down low. Where do you want to see a response or trying to contain him a little bit better, especially with Miles Turner and perhaps Jalen Smith? I know he has an injury designation, and I haven't seen the full injury report just yet, but let's say he goes – how do they go about trying to limit Mobley with the addition of Donovan Mitchell now out there as well? 
Well, I think that last point, in in a way, might indirectly, you know, make that question maybe not as important just because Donovan Mitchell obviously is going to dominate the ball a whole lot. Um, so maybe you might not have whatever individual, you know, playmaking by Mobley, or he certainly won't be asked to do as much as he was last Friday night. Um, but, I mean, that this is a matchup that, you know, isn't maybe the traditional big that has gotten the best of Turner before. You need to kind of think of Embiid and when he was in his prime, Andre Drummond or Stephen Adams, you know, some of these more – you know, kind of bigger, powerful, big guys that, you know, just physically outmuscle him. So I'd like to think that that kind of won't be the norm with Turner. Obviously, Mobley's very gifted. He wouldn't have been the you know, second overall pick without having those traits. Uh, I think so much this matchup to me still comes back to, you know, what you do in the perimeter. And you, know, you go back to the first quarter of that matchup last Friday and Karis LeVert goes off. And if you look at Monday night, you know, as great of a job as you might have done with Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, you, you still fouled them way too much. Um, so I still think the wing defense, you know, and, and that responsibility on Bruce Brown and Benedict Mathern is where I probably start first in this matchup. But, you know, to your point, Jimmy, this is kind of what makes Cleveland, you know, on that tier, on that second tier. You know, we assume Boston-Milwaukee are on tier one. You know, a big reason why Cleveland is there is because, you know, they do have. Uh, a, a young guy that's incredibly skilled and, you know, deservedly so. A lot of people think, you know, he could be a great player in the NBA. So um, I'll be curious about that, but probably more so, you know, Mitchell and if Carlin plays and Levert, how you handle that, I think will be the first thing that you got to take care of. If we shift over to the Colts, KB, what do you think about the Colts secondary specifically against Bryce Young and the Panthers this Sunday? Well, I, the, the good news is I don't think Carolina has the depth at wide receiver that New Orleans does. So I don't think they will test you, you know, into that, you know, cornerback depth chart um, to the point with enough quality. Like, again, I, I, I do feel like um, Carolina, or excuse me, that New Orleans brought to the table. So I think that's, that's important. <laughs> and again, it's kind of by default, but. Uh, it's not, you know, me sitting here being like, oh, the Colts have got a great cornerback plan and they should have used that last week. You know, I, I've thrown out the name Darren Hall. He's a practice squad guy who started nine games for the Falcons last year. Admittedly, it's a dart at a dart board, but, you know, that to me is an option that you should try uh, based off nothing else really working in that room. Um, and I, I just look at a rookie quarterback. I look at, you know, facing those guys. So there was C.J. Stroud in week two. And, I mean, hell, you could see Will Levis here in a month. And, um, you know, you might even see Aiden O'Connell with a couple weeks ago in the season. Uh, to me, it's just I feel like when you face these rookie QBs, it's so paramount that you change up the norm, that you don't just stick to the, hey, we're going to do what we do and we do it better than you do it or we do it super well. Well, why not throw a curveball at the rookie quarterback who might be prepping all week long, not to mention you have a Frank Reich element to this game. And that, of course, is somebody that knows what Gus Bradley's scheme is all about. Um, so I, I really point to that more than anything in terms of a changeup or throwing a curveball at Bryce Young. He's been sacked a, a, a ton. I mean, even last week when they won, he got sacked six times in that game. So, uh, again, it's Adam Thielen or – Pretty much a bunch of random dudes at wideout. You know, maybe Kenny Moore follows Thielen around a little bit in some key third-down red zone situations. The Colts have typically not done that, but I think that would be something that I would look into as well. The fan zone, Kevin Bowen, is our guest here on Query and Company. KB, one of the comments that you had tweeted out from Shane Steichen's availability today caught my attention greatly because it kind of throws a wrench in whatever the heck this tight end room is 
for the Indianapolis Colts, and you tweeted this out, which was that we'll see, in quotes, on if Jelani Woods plays this season. Now, I don't want to take away from what Drew Ogletree's been able to do at times or what Kylan Granson has been able to do at times, but you and I have talked about this before. It feels like this is a tight end room that has a lot of gadgets, not the right word, but guys that do different roles, but none of them do all of the roles combined exceptionally well that would make a tight end one. Does the Jelani Woods news or potential news that he wouldn't play this year magnify that to a further point, or are we still in about the same boat we were to begin with? No, I think it's fair to say that it does, Jimmy. Um, You know, look at late last season. So much of this season was a disaster once you got to Thanksgiving and beyond. But if there were some individual bright spots late last year, I would say Bernard Ryman would qualify as that. And now you feel, you know, even though he's had a hiccup or two against some great rushers, you feel like, oh, wow, this could be your left tackle of the future. And Jelani Woods, you know, remember that Monday night game against the Steelers? I mean, that was a real, real bright spot late in the year. And coming into year two, you thought, okay, natural year one to year two growth, a position that obviously is important in Shane Steichen's offense. Uh, certainly, if you look at tight end history, whether it was Ken Doger and Marcus Pollard for Peyton or um, you know, Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener early on for Andrew Luck, you know, young quarterbacks relying on those tight ends, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you would hope that Jelani Woods could have shown that. And now here we are week nine, uh, and the answer from Shane Steichen is we'll see on if he plays this season, and you've got a game next week. He obviously is not going to play in that. So, you know, you're at least going to get to, you know, week 12, and he will have not played yet this season. I mean, that is incredibly disappointing for a guy that, yeah, had a lot of intrigue in the offseason, had a lot of intrigue late last season as well. And, you know, so much of this year is about, you know, what those puzzle pieces look like for Anthony Richardson moving forward and trying to find some of those, particularly pass catchers, um, especially when your wideout group, you know, doesn't have, uh, you, know, uh, you know, many, if any kind of slam dunks, if you will. Obviously, Josh Downs, you, you, you feel really good about. So, um, yeah, I do think that is, uh, that is something certainly to, uh, you know, watch here over the final month, month and a half of the season. By the way, before you go, KB, if you're looking at the bet and saying, ah, Pacers, 45 wins, not looking great, I need to recoup these funds for Ivy League schooling, you know? Are you looking to week nine? Is there anything that you love for a KB special? Uh, that's a great point. Um, sounds like that'd be the ultimate chase here in mid-November. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want <laughs> Yeah, I, my, I don't know if my risk aversion is at that same level. Uh, what, what are we talking about in Germany? Jimmy Cook, Brian No, what are we talking? What's yeah. that line, Chiefs-Dolphins? It's at two right now. There's a little bit more buyback for the Chiefs. I don't know why. Maybe Jimmy's betting <laughs> during commercial breaks here. I'm not doing quite what sure. I can. Over yeah. under is 50 Jimmy, and a half. You, uh, no, I'm not. Worried? Go ahead. Sorry. I, I was going to say, I, and this is kind of a storyline for the Colts next week, and I guess it's your annual international game storyline of, you know, when does the team travel over to play their game? Uh, Miami uh, doing the whole week. Kansas City not doing the whole week. Uh, do you care, Jimmy? Should I bet Miami because of that? No, I wouldn't bet Miami because of that. The reason, if you were to bet Miami, and I wouldn't harp on you one way or the other if that is the side you decide to back, is because Brian and I talked about this on Wednesday, that the Chiefs linebacking core has suffered two injuries that will inhibit key contributors on this defense, been one of the best in the league the last two weeks. 
And on top of that, this will be the biggest test that secondary has had. It's rose of the occasion each week, but you can't replicate what Jalen Waddle, what Tyreek Hill are able to do. Uh, they're an explosive offense. I'm just hoping that as many offensive linemen from Miami are hurt as possible and Chris Jones and George Karloftis can kind of game wreck things for Tua. But it's going to be a great game. Miami has the firepower to do it. Um, I'm right now the bet I'm most confident in KB. If you're looking to chase and get back mm. with the Pacers insurance, minus 125, you're giving up a little bit of juice. Tyree Kill's going to find the end zone. He's going to hit a peace sign on Trent McDuffie. It's going to be legendary. It'll go viral. I would back Ty- Tyree Kill to score a touchdown on Sunday. Okay, interesting. I feel obligated. I've said this before. If a power conference team is getting 30 points or more, I have to take that team. That would be Purdue getting mm. 32 and a half against Michigan. Now, Ryan Walters made me very nervous last night <laughs> with a, a, a public call out of Jim Harbaugh and what Michigan's doing. I respect the hell out of that. I appreciate Ryan Walters for doing that. But that means Jim Harbaugh does not let off the gas whatsoever. Come late Saturday night. That is my one concern. And, you know, JJ McCarthy is now in the game for two extra series, just based off Ryan Walters' comments. <laughs> Having said that, I will be sprinkling. Uh, I'll be putting a little more than a sprinkle on Purdue thirty-two and a half. Max Bowen helmet pick. Where do we land? I know it's on Twitter now. If you want to just tease it there yeah. and have fans go there, that's fine. But how do we land today? Yeah, the kid is in a drought. That that means I won't pick him up from daycare uh, <laughs> until the final minute today, just out of out of punishment. Uh, he has gone Colts, which I feel like, I don't know, the white helmet of the Colts must be uh, something that's standing out to him. That is now five straight weeks he has gone with the Colts. So safe to say he is in a drought, but uh, he, he's going with the road favorite here in week nine. Okay. All right. We'll see how that works out. Well, KB, uh, always appreciate you, you popping on, man. Good to visit with you. Hope you have a tremendous weekend, and hope uh, you're not betting like uh, you know tuition on these these helmet bets, right? Like that's not that's not what's going on there. Well, uh, steal a phrase from Shane Steichen today when asked about Shaquille Leonard, and you know any any comments from Shaquille towards the coaching staff on his lack of role, and uh, we'll keep those uh, conversations private between me and the various betting apps out there. <laughs> Fair enough. When, man. I, when I'll let you know when I lose or I'm struggling. I'll play coy. Exactly. That's the way. That's the best policy yeah, right there, move. KB. That yeah, move. veteran exactly. move. Uh, hey, have a great weekend, man. We'll catch you soon, KB. Boys, have a great weekend. There he is, Kevin Bowen. Wake up call with KB and Andy here on the fan. Yeah, wow. He, he mentioned Ryan Walters. The other thing, the Purdue head coach. He's like, yeah, we got new signals ahead of facing Michigan. I don't know if you heard about this whole sign-stealing thing. We have new signals. Did they get new players, too? No, just the signals? Okay. All right. Let's make sure. Look, I, I would not back any of that. And I said the same thing about, well, that's not true. I was fooled once by IU, part because Jake was on the, you know, definitely 100% legitimate hype train of IU upsetting Michigan. I thought, eh, it's a lot of points. We'll back yeah. it. Why not? Didn't work Oof. out well. No, thanks. I'm not doing it again this time. Hey, it's all about timing. Would yeah. have been great if that was against Penn State. Oh, would it I, ever. I did not see that coming no. at all. They played them tough. They did. Played them really tough. Hung around for a long time there. Yeah. Um, man, these uh, – I understand these coaches too, by the way. Ryan Walters and these Big Ten coaches. If you see the footage of what looks like Connor Stallions, the staff member, incognito. It's amazing. On Central Michigan sideline. It's so great. And he's just sitting there <laughs> documenting signals. Fist bumping when plays happen, just trying to blend in. Oh, it's amazing. 
It's Dude, so great. If I'm one of these other Big Ten teams, <laughs> if I'm Michigan State, right? Like we clowned Michigan State. It was a joke. Where that that was when the sign stealing scandal first broke. And they talked to the NCAA about maybe not playing Michigan, <laughs> which is t- just terrible. What are you doing? But I can fully understand them being bent. And I don't know if they knew about Connor Stallions at that point, potentially being on Central Michigan sideline while stealing Michigan State's signals. But, Jimmy, dude, that is way over the line <laughs> if that's indeed what Michigan has been doing. Yeah. Uh, and like I said on Wednesday, at some point – Hammer needs to be laid down. It needs to be like, I don't know. I say that hoping that it's going to be just an iron fist that the end step way is going to operate with. But then I look at what happened with Bill Self in Kansas and I say to myself, yeah. what, what's really going to happen here? And, and if it is, oh, we're going to vacate wins and all that. If they win the title this year, it doesn't matter. You can hide the banners. You can do whatever you want. Louisville still won that national championship right. in basketball. We still saw it happen. Like if that's what's going to happen with Michigan, then right. it, it's a lost cause. Something well, I don't know what the answer is, but something if all of this continues to trend that way needs to be done that's substantial that not only punishes Michigan properly, but also makes sure this kind of thing is going to happen again. Well, you think about this. This is the one of the chances where you have the ability to punish someone as is. You know, like a, I like proactive punishments instead of reactive. Yeah. I hate trying to rewrite history where it's like, hey, uh, Fab Five, you, you didn't make it to the Final Four. Well, we actually did. Well, we're just going to take your banners down and <laughs> vacate wins. That's just stupid. I hate trying to rewrite history. And then at the same rate, it's not great to punish the next class where you take away scholarships. I think that makes more sense than rewriting history. But... If you're able to punish someone in season, which the Big Ten could do, I don't think they will at all. They'd be punishing themselves in effect, right? Yeah. But that's you have the ability to do that right here, right now. If you are going to punish Michigan in some type of facet, wouldn't it make more sense to do it right now instead of just letting it go and maybe at the end of the season, now we're trying to rewrite history? That's just dumb. Yeah, I would think so. Something needs to be done in the now versus trying to go ahead and change and erase records. And you got to delete those photos. That championship didn't happen. Can't have that on the athletic department walls. Sorry. Well, think about this too, Jimmy, is think about, you mentioned Bill Self. I don't remember Big 12 coaches coming out and saying, hey, Big 12, you got to do something about (laughs) this Bill Self. And we're recruiting kids and like going through the shoe companies and what is happening right here? You've got Big Ten coaches <laughs> saying this sign stealing thing, <laughs> even though we do it, we don't do it like that. That's way above and beyond. Yeah, it speaks volumes if your own conference is truly turning uh, on you. Yeah, it really does. No doubt. Okay, so we promised Bob Knight audio, so we'll play it for you right here. So. He'll explain the context. It goes back to 1984, the Olympics, when he's coaching Michael Jordan and company. Okay, now the audio isn't the greatest, but the story is tremendous. Again, like, sit back in your easy chair right here. This is about three minutes long, but I promise you it is worth it. Here is the late, great uh, Bob Knight telling a story about Michael Jordan. But you, I think, have got to really be a flexible leader if you're going to be an effective leader. I walked into the locker room after 
the first half of our game with Spain in 1984 for the gold medal. We're ahead by 29 points. We've played basketball as well as the game can be played. Michael Jordan has played 12 minutes out of the 20. He has 11 rebounds, 9 assists, and 19 points in 12 minutes. In my opinion, there's nobody that's ever played anything that can compare to Michael Jordan with the possible exception of Jack Nicklaus and Babe Ruth. Michael Jordan is just the best there ever was at what he does by a considerable margin. So I'm walking across the floor with this 29-point lead as I look at the scoreboard, and I'm a great believer in the best three minutes of the game for us has got to be the first three minutes of the second half. But what the hell am I going to say? Hey, we got to get better. We're 29 points ahead. We got to win by 59. These kids are going to be a little bit satisfied with themselves. They know how well they've played. And when I get to the locker room, I still haven't come up with an answer. I open the door, and the first guy I see is Jordan sitting in front of his locker. Idea light flashes. I say to myself, I'm going to get on Jordan's ass a little bit. And everybody else is going to say, God, if he's upset with Jordan, how's he feel about me? 12 minutes, 19 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, and I have the stat sheet in my hand, and I walk over in front of Jordan, and I look down at him, and I say, Mike, when the hell are you going to set a screen? We got four guys out there screening when you're in the game, screening to get you open, screening to get each other open. Haven't seen you set a screen yet. The only way I get all five guys screening, Mike, is to get you the hell out of the game. Now, when are you going to set a screen? All you've been doing so far, damn it, is rebounding, passing, and scoring. You need to screen, Mike. Now, Jordan, you've all seen the grin. I mean, it's the greatest grin in the world. Doesn't quite use all of his grin in this circumstance. But he looks up at me, and he grins a little bit, and he says, Coach, didn't I see last week where you said I was the quickest player you'd ever been around? I said, Mike, what the hell has that got to do with you screening? Coach, I think I'm setting them quicker than you can see them out there. <laughs> well, I was flexible enough to look at Jordan and say, then, damn it, slow him down a little bit so I can see him. <laughs> I love that. I think awesome. that is tremendous. <laughs> And one of the things I take away, even though it's a hilarious story, and he told it very well, man. It was top uh, top shelf. Think about the overall message, Jimmy, is to be a flexible leader. Like, you've got to be a flexible leader if you're going to be an effective leader. And I don't think most people would look at Bob Knight and say, oh, flexible. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. But that's what's interesting to me is there are times where he was flexible, more flexible than you would have thought he was and, and able to get the desired outcome, you know? So that's what I take away yeah. is even though you're known to be like this, sometimes you're different than that. And he was more flexible at times than you would have ever believed him to be. He was systematic in the way that he would 
attack different things in terms of the situation, what called for it. And in a moment like that, to be able to, whether or not how much embellishment is in the story, either way, I mean, it's a great story, and I, I believe 95% of it. But <laughs> the thought that, okay, how have you, because he's right, especially at the college level, you hear that so often of you need to have a tone-setting moment to open the second half, especially if you're a team that's in the lead. Well, how do you do it on one of the grandest stage in terms of international basketball when everything's going right and it seems like you can do no wrong? Well, you go after the greatest <laughs> player on that team and who would be the greatest player of all time enough to at least set a message there. But the ability to also, like you mentioned, even though we might not have seen it, the ability to be adaptive to the situation is an underrated part of him. I would agree. Man, I love the philosophy also where think about that. The the most important three minutes of the game are the first three minutes of the second half. That that was his philosophy. Yeah. Like, I, I find that fascinating. Where there are coaches that are going to look at it differently, and I, I think it's really cool how you emphasize, strategize. Like those are like the details of sports. I love that type of stuff, yeah, especially he, with basketball. Especially yeah. with basketball because there's so many different angles to which you can approach it, and to see each one's take, especially one of the greats, is really cool. Yeah, no doubt. All right, coming up next, David Newton. He covers the Panthers for ESPN. We'll uh, see what he's envisioning for the game against the Colts on Sunday. That's on the way. I'm Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5. The F Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's been a factor for them all season. They really had high hopes this group could be good, but um, they've been kind of piecing things together. I mean, they're going to probably be without Von Bell. Uh, they're one of their starting safeties again. Um, Justin Houston has been an outside linebacker that's kind of played in spells. He's going to be out. Uh, you got Brian Burns, who's going to play, but he's got dealing with an elbow injury. Then you got J.C. Horn, who's probably not going to be ready to return for another few weeks. He's been out for over a month at one cornerback spot. You got your other cornerback spot. I think Dante Jackson will probably play, but you know he's he's got an injury that popped up today, so that's going to be a factor. So, I mean, the list goes on and on. I could there's three or four other guys that are on IR. So yeah, it's, it's been it's been frustrating for this team to have to deal with all that. But what you saw last week, I was actually in. Shockingly impressed at the way they were able to hold the Texans down uh, with so many missing pieces out there. And, um, you know, Frank, Frank Reich, if you know, he's got that next man up mentality. Uh, he was he was one of those next men up when he was a player. And he's got them believing they can still succeed. So they've got some young guys they're having to count on now. D.J. Johnson, their outside linebacker they took in the uh, draft this past year. They feel like he's starting to play well and going to get some shots again. It just the list goes on and on for what they've had to deal with this year, uh, and that's a big reason they're one and six right now. David, yeah, it's crazy, man. What what do you see in this particular matchup against the Colts offense and Gardner Minshew, who have moved the ball? They've just been turning it over a lot. Yeah, I mean the the first thing the Panthers got to do is figure out how to stop the run. I mean they did it last week uh, for the season. They haven't done it very well. They're like 
29th, I think, in the league in run defense. Um, I think he's going to see them mixing in there with some different formations and then they've typically used, uh, but they, they've really got to find a way to do that because if, you know, Jonathan Taylor and, and Moss are able to get the running game going, then, you know, that's going to be tough for them to, to get through the day uh, very well because, you know, that, that's been a thing that's bitten them many times this season. And, again, I think that's going to be the focus. They want to see if they can force the, the Colts to pass and, and go from there. David Newton is our guest, covers the Panthers for ESPN.com. David, the Colts secondary has been abysmal for pretty much the entire year, and no Juju Brents officially declared they're one of their stud rookies at that position. When you look at the Panthers offensively and the struggles and sometimes the ups they've had this year, most notably Adam Thielen and what he's been able to do with Carolina, do they have enough firepower offensively and is Frank Wright going to be able to cook up enough offensively to where if the Colts are able to put up the high marks they've done this year 20 or more in every game so far this season that they can hang around do they have enough offensively to do so yeah I mean if you look at what the Colts have allowed the last three weeks I mean the the numbers are staggering how bad the defense has been and so this is a good opportunity for Bryce Young and maybe if he got some momentum and and, uh, a little got some of the pressure off last week by getting the win with that fourth quarter drive if he can come out there and uh, i think they've got some players that are capable they the first thing they got to do they got to find a way to run the ball so you know the colts can't pin their ears back and go after him um but after that you mentioned Thielen. Uh, he's been playing really 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 well i can't even tell you how well he's played and uh dj chark the other wide receiver they feel like you know he's been limited with injuries but i think he may be able to play this week and then again, the rest of it, you got Mingo, their, their rookie receiver. He's he's been playing better. Like, they'll have to kind of piecemeal it together and see what they can do. Um, they've, they've had some stretches there where, um, you know, they were hoping Miles Sanders was going to be the answer with the, uh, the running back, and he was going to be able to be receiver and a, a running threat for him. He hasn't been there. That's why Chuba Hubbard's starting. But, um, yeah, I, I think they've got enough pieces. I don't know if they can get in a big – big shootout with the the Colts, but I think they've they've got enough pieces where they can, if you can get a game in the 20s, I think it's going to be manageable for them. How would you say Bryce Young has performed? Because I feel like a lot of people, like on a national level, they watched a couple of games and then the Panthers kind of getting lost in the shuffle (laughs) more times than not when they're playing with a bunch of other games going on. So for someone like you who's watched Bryce Young each and every week, what would you say he's doing well and what he's struggling at so far this season? Yeah, the one thing he had a problem with early, I mean, he obviously had a couple turnovers, interceptions in the first game, but turnovers hurt him early. And what he's learned as a pro is how important that consistency is. And so they're, they're really working on that right now. He's been focused on being a more consistent player. You saw it last week where he had a passer rating of over 100 for the first time this season, and you – especially that the game-winning drive they had. I think he completed all but one pass, and that pass was a drop by Hayden Hurst. So he seemed to have found what he needs to do, even with the pressure he's under from the pass rush, uh, to, to be that consistent player and not make the critical errors uh, that's costing them games. So if he can avoid the, the turnovers and, and just keep pressing forward and then build on what they did last week, I, I think he's actually played well. C.J. Stroud, who was taken number two by the Texans, you know, when people were talking last week of comparing the two, he said, Bryce is really not playing that bad. You know, you've got a turnover or two here 
that kind of makes people believe that he's playing worse than he is. I, I think for a rookie, if you look at rookie quarterbacks taking number one have done overall, and there's only been one with a winning record uh, since 1967. So the fact that he's you know he's one in five, and other teams one in six, it's it's not a stunner out there because it's really tough for the situation those guys coming up. But I think he's shown mainly through the processing and ability to move forward and not dwell on his mistakes and get down on himself. Those are the key things that have shown me he's making progress. And, again, that fourth-quarter drive, uh, they hadn't had a game-winning come-from-behind drive since 2018 when Cam Newton did it. And to get that and to get players and teammates believing that he can be that guy that can lead them, I think that's, that's really key for this team. David Newton covers the Panthers for ESPN.com. David, I love narrative or not a good revenge game. It always gets me excited, even if it's just bubbling at the surface. It might not really matter as much as the media and the fans want to make it out to be. With Frank Reich, outwardly it appears that, that he does not feel the same way, but do you expect that to be still prevalent from his guys, knowing that, hey, our coach got tossed midseason last year. Let's go out and win one for him. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Frank Frank's not a guy that's bitter. He said he's not bitter over what happened. But is it, was his pride hurt? I, I think it probably was. I mean, who who's wouldn't be? But uh, and I think that's what this is all about for him is showing that you know he can be that guy that that he was early with the Colts that helped them get to the playoffs a couple of times that helped them overcome the the uncertainty they had at quarterback for for most of the last five years. So. For him, I think that's important. And what's what's really stood out for me, what I've learned this week, uh, not only you know, the the Colts players still love Frank Wright when he was fired. I mean, they they believed in him, and they I think they would have continued to fight for him last year. And and the current team that Frank has at Carolina, even when they were always six, the players never lost faith in him. He never lost the locker room, and I think that that's really key. And um, I, I think you got some Colts players that would like to see Frank Wright win every week, except for this one. But uh, again, I, I think that will be a motivating factor. I think these players love him, and they want to they want to show you know the Colts that maybe they made a mistake in moving on from him. Well, hey David, appreciate the time, man. Hope you enjoy the game on Sunday. Not too much, obviously, right? Like <laughs> from an Indianapolis standpoint, but uh, hope uh, hope all goes well uh, as long as the Colts can win. I don't know if you can agree to that or not. <laughs> I have no bone in this one. I just like somebody's going to win the game. I want to write a story, and we'll move on. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Well, uh, have a good weekend, David. We'll catch you down the road. Appreciate it, guys. There he is, David Newton, covers the Panthers for ESPN.com. I like that. That that sounds, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but that sounds like a guy who's covering a one-in-six football team, you know? <laughs> the game's going to happen. I'm going to write a story, and God willing, the sun will come up the next day. I will, you know? <laughs> I, it, it does a little bit, but I would also go to bat and say that, uh, that that is a mark of a true journalist there. He knows he's on the beat. He doesn't have a dog in the fight. He's just hoping that uh, the revenge game is palatable enough for some excitement. Yeah, no doubt. All right, coming up next, we got picks. And we got bets to make potentially here, Jimmy. I've got a suggestion. We'll see if you're up for it. Doesn't involve shaving off an eyebrow or, you know, shaving your head. or No shaving whatsoever. Technological betting proposal. Hmm. That's on the way. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarian Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, so I've got a betting proposal for you, Jimmy. Okay. My Dolphins against your Chiefs. Yep. Huh? All right. Germany. Sir Goot. Uh, let's, let's set the table here. Sure. All right, Miami. Okay, now I feel like we're ready to go here. Oh, that's right. good. Yeah, so, me too. Yeah, I equally feel like that was fair down the middle. Okay, here's what I'm thinking. I have my touchdown Kansas City somewhere. I can't find it. Yeah. I don't know where that's. I'm sure it was an accident. Okay, yeah. yep, go ahead. Uh, yep. Uh-huh. So here's what I'm thinking. Okay. On your phone. Yeah. The background. Yep. For the rest of the month. Yep will be to the winner's choosing, okay? Now, what I'm thinking is if the Dolphins win, it's going to be a Dolphin-themed background for you for the rest of the month. Okay. If the Chiefs win, it's a Chiefs-themed background on my phone for the rest of the month. And I'll do you an extra solid here. It, hopefully, I haven't dug around because um, I just came up with this idea. But it'll be something funny. It'll be something where it's like, gosh, is it December already, right? <laughs> But it won't be, you know, something crazy like I'm not going to have Tyreek Hill like twerking in a Speedo or something. And that's the background. <laughs> so I think it's a it's a good idea. You on board with this? Sure. Yeah, I'm on board. Just to clarify, because I am an iPhone user and you are a Android user. You're talking uh-huh. about the background of the phone, correct? That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Like your, your wallpaper. Yep. Yep. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. And not your lock screen, like the actual right. wallpaper the actual, is yeah. there every yep. time you're Correct. looking for an app. Yep. or yep. You know, when you have one of those boring iPhones and all you have are the little squares, uh, you don't have widgets or anything yep. fun, right. you know, that makes it th- th- even th- more. That would probably make it pop a little bit more if yeah. there's some Miami action oh, yeah. on the back. Yeah, no oh, doubt. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm in. Let's go. I'm <laughs> all down. Right. Perfect. And let's, uh, let's win some money, too, while we're at it. You've got some picks for us. Let's do it. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my play. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day and a little bit of an extended version as well into the weekend. Unlike Kevin Bowen, I can put a caveat on this because don't bet it until the final injury report is out. I'm going to take the Pacers on the money line tonight with the caveat that Tyrese Halliburton plays. In that same instance, if he plays, we'll go over 30 and a half points plus assists for Tyrese Halliburton. Okay. Give me the Colts on the money line over the Panthers, and then we'll go a little rapid fire with NFL bets in Germany over 50 and a half total points for Dolphins and Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are going to win. I'll take them on the money line, but I'm also going to take Tyreek Hills and anytime touchdown score. Rest of the day, Eagles over Cowboys, Bengals over Bills. Brian, does anything jump at you? Did you make your decision on the over-unders we talked about? I'm taking the over on the uh, Colts Panthers. That's at 44. I'm on the over with a prop bet on Alvin Kamara. Give me over 32 and a half receiving yards. The Bears are allergic to covering running backs, and they're going to throw it to Alvin Kamara (laughs) quite a bit. So I like those two bets. How about you with these money line favorite bets? But. You caught my attention at the end. You like the Eagles and the Bengals here this week. I do, huh? and I, I wouldn't be against necessarily combining those two as well. You get an afternoon window game, and you get the primetime game. Little Bengals, Eagles. Who knows? Maybe that's a Super Bowl matchup. Who's to say? It could be. Man, with Joe Burrow running around again, he looks healthy. He, he looks like himself. They're going to win the North. 
I that, that it's, it's I don't know it's not a big out on a limb pick, but they're going to win the North. I feel good about it. Bengals Ravens going to be a, a showdown to the end. Yep. And you never know the the health thing. Uh, will Lamar be healthy all season? That's the the question there. But um, yeah, man, that's a big one. Bills Bengals. I'm excited for this weekend, man. It's a we great slate. Big college games. We, yeah, too. we didn't really even get across that, but it's a great college slate as well. We finally hit that window of college football where it's great games until we get to the playoffs. Yeah, very much looking forward to it. All right, Jimbo, good hanging with you. Hope you have a tremendous weekend. I do hope it starts off horrible on early Sunday morning with right the Dolphins back at you. just crushing the Chiefs. <laughs> JMV up next. Have a good weekend. We'll see you.